June the 4th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well out there. You'll probably catch this late June 4th uh, into uh, early Friday, June the 5th. And on this episode, I'm going to talk about the NBA. It's back. We'll let you uh, know everything you need to know about the NBA, when it's coming back, how it's coming back, all the details there. Then we have a couple interviews we're going to talk some horse racing with Craig Milkowski from Timeform US. We're going to discuss some of the stakes races from Churchill Downs and from Belmont Park with Craig. Then after that, we're going to talk with Emily Gullickson from Optics EQ, and we're going to talk about the Santa Anita stakes races with Emily. So you'll get all the stakes races from, well, you'll get four from Santa Anita. You'll get four from Belmont. You'll get uh, the two stakes races from Churchill. We'll talk about all of those with Craig and then with Emily. And then afterwards, we're going to preview the UFC event, UFC 250 Saturday night. The the best women's MMA fighter of all time, Amanda Nunez, we uh, will be headlining the show. So Howard Chinchuk will join us to preview that event, talk about some of the the fights and and which ones he may be wagering on. And we go through um, you know all of the the major fights and kind of preview those for you. This will be the first time ever talking some UFC on this show. So looking forward to that one and. Uh, and we're going to close things out with a little Survivor Series 1992. We do our old wrestling rewatches, and I think some of you know how it goes. It's Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne and, the, and me and the three of us. We will watch an old show. We go through all the matches. We talk about all the funny stuff said on commentary. We basically preview the uh, every we preview the show. We recap the show. We talk about everything happening in the in the year '92 and around this show. Um, lots of discussion there. A lot of fun, and then. Uh, we take turns picking the next show to do, and then uh, every week we'll uh, we'll recap another one. So well, a loaded show: some NBA, some horse racing, some UFC, and then some old wrestling to discuss. Let's jump right on into uh, our first segment. We're going to discuss the NBA. They are back. NBA, and I'm going to be reading through an article from uh, Brian Windhorst and Tim Bontemps is on ESPN.com. 85 days after suspending the season, NBA is back. So we, we've now found out that um, they made the decision on Thursday. The Board of Governors approved a proposal 29-1 to 1, for 22 teams to return to play starting July the 31st. They're going to be playing at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex at Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida. Okay, so we're back. Here, here are you know all the specifics, all the details. First, the teams have to get... Um, reconvene back in their home markets That means some players went home to their hometowns Some players went to their home countries They all have to get back They have to figure everything out A lot of these players have to be in quarantines If they are someone that went overseas They have to be have a two-week quarantine upon arrival uh, Those are the federal rules right now Teams will all have individual workouts at their own facilities And they're going to be a training camp that starts up on June the 30th It's going to go a week long All of the 22 teams are going to fly to Florida on July the 7th. That's three weeks before the restart of the season. And they will all have to quarantine for some period, depending on where they're they're coming from. Florida law. Remember, everything's different now in, in a lot of these states. Florida law, as of now, requires people flying in from some states, including New York, to quarantine for 14 days. They're going to have some exhibition games. Probably some scrimmages before um, They actually start back up the, the remaining part of the season So the players 
are going to meet on Friday. Um, they have approved this because they've gone back and forth with Adam Silver, so it'll be completely formal on Friday. But but this is going to go down now. The reason why they picked 22 teams. So if they only had 16 teams, that would have been the best way if they would have just said, okay, let's cut the season right now. We're going to take the 16 teams that are in, eight, eight teams from each that are in the playoffs and just start a playoff. A couple reasons why they didn't do that. One, I mean, the, the main reason is money, obviously, right? But I think there were some some other issues too. I think you have to, you can't just immediately come right in and start a playoffs, right? You have to at least have some some games to, to kind of be like a, a little bit of a, a test, like a trial run. Make sure everything that you're doing for the first time on a different scale works. You'll be able to get it, like kind of iron out some of the issues through those, you know, maybe some of those practice games and then those those some of those regular season games because teams are still going to be battling for seating and they wanted to give, which I I kind of understand, it would have been a little unfair where a season still did have, you know depending on what teams you were, what, 15 to 18, 20 games left. Some teams would have had opportunities to move up and down in the seedings and to get into the playoffs if they were not in it. The league also wanted to make sure to give some of the stars, I think, like uh, like Zion and, and Lillier, a chance to get into the playoffs, too, because those teams would have not been in right now with the Grizzlies in the eighth spot. So there was you know a lot of things they were looking at. By having 22 teams, they gave six teams that were within six games of the the number eight seeds an opportunity to get in. They felt like that's the the most amount of games that a team maybe could have made up in the next few weeks or in the the last few weeks of an NBA season in order to you know move themselves up in the uh, in the standings enough to get into the playoffs. And as they said. Like, this is largely invented. There's no, like, they're looking at historical context and stuff, but there's no real rhyme or reason to any of this. It just comes down to money. If they had canceled the rest of the 259 regular season games, the players were facing $645 million in lost salary. By adding 88 games back, that reduces the loss by about $300 million. Because player paychecks are being withheld right now by 25%. And if all of those regular season games were canceled, the reductions could have gone to as much as forty percent. So they add some of those backs, uh, and and the paychecks now will be cut much much less. And it's going to allow teams to retain some of that local television revenue that would have been lost without those games, because now they're you know some of the local markets will be showing their you know I'm sure Spectrum Sportsnet is going to have all the Lakers stuff, but they're going to probably be a lot of national games also. So the reason why now the NBA started to come back, well, I think we can all see why. We look around and we see that a lot of states are opening up restrictions um, and they're opening up what we can do in, in as long as we continue to maintain you know, social distancing, masks, gloves in some places. So I think right now what the NBA looked around and saw that um, infections in general and percentages and stuff have come down. There's more availability of testing. These were things that they talked about in April as, hey, we have to wait for some of this stuff to happen before we can even think about coming back. And so that's why they looked around and said right now this might be a good time because they could 
you know, squeeze everything in in 74 days with Game 7 of the NBA Finals no later than Monday, October the 12th and a season set, set to start on July the 31st. So, now the NBA is at to a point where they wouldn't have to shut everything down if there was a single test, a single positive test, like what happened with Rudy Gobert. They're developing plans to where they could carry on even if there are some positive tests. So they've been talking with, you know, infectious disease specialists, health experts, government officials to figure out a plan because it would get tricky maybe if a couple players on one team tested positive or some officials or, you know, a group of one team did. If there was a player here and there, I think they might be a little more okay with continuing to move forward with things. And they're a little flexible on the schedule. So if they don't have to have a play-in tournament, let's say there's no teams that are within a couple games of each other in that 8th and ninth seed, then they don't have to have that play-in tournament and they can start the playoffs even sooner. Every playoff series, it's going to be 7 games. If they go quicker, they're not going to be bound to television commitments like they were when you'd always see you know, the NBA Finals announced at this time. Well, it's going to be a little bit different. They'll be able to be a little bit more flexible with their schedule moving forward. So here's what the schedule is actually going to look like. Could be as many as seven games per day played over three weeks during the August regular season, which the NBA has called, and they're branding it, the seeding games. And they're going to have weekday afternoon playoff games during the first round. Three different places where they're going to play the games The Arena, HP Fieldhouse, and Visa Athletic Center They are all at the Worldwide of Sports Worldwide of Sports Wide World of Sports Complex And then as things move on They can they can shrink down to Just using two, two courts And then one court at the end They'll use the regular season And the rest of it as a guide Some teams are going to have to play games against teams that were already on their schedule, but they're going to have to modify things because there are only going to be 22 teams there, not 30. So if if you've got a scheduled game against one of those eight teams that's not there, obviously you're not playing them. So, you know, they're going to have to tweak things and, and finalize a lot of those details. So they have to depend on whether or not a play-in tournament is needed to establish the 8th seeded teams. If possible, there could be back-to-backs in the first round of playoffs as well. There would be limited to just one per series. Teams fighting for the 8th seed and a play-in tournament will be will be playing and these games do matter for all the seeding and for, you know, if your team's in the fourth spot right now and these games do count to get them, you know, if they want to get up to the two, the three, however, how you know, move up the standings. So as far as the testing of the players, they're going to have daily uniform coronavirus testing for everyone within the bubble. The epidemiologists and have said this is what the NBA has to do in order to have the safest situation possible. So the players' union has indicated they'd prefer testing methods other than the nasal swab, which they thought was invasive and uncomfortable. They will also employ social distancing, temperature checks, and use of masks when appropriate, and sanitizing. So then the question, if someone tests positive, the NBA will have to have a plan if a player or coach tests positive. They're not expected to stop play because of a positive test. 
but they could isolate the person and continue to monitor the surrounding colleagues. And as they say in this article, the team is where things could get tricky if several players or several staff members tested positive. There are also some higher risk older coaches that are going to be there, right? You have Greg Popovich, who's 71 years old, Mike D'Antoni, who's 69 years old, Alvin Gentry, who's 65, Terry Stotts is 62, Rick Carlisle is 60. You know, they're a little little more high risk because they're older, but they're all going to be there. The teams that are not traveling, those eight teams, they're supposed to have some sort of a mini camp later in this year, so that way they don't have, you know, 10 months without playing basketball. Nobody nobody knows what those things are going to look like yet, but that's just a the word. It doesn't we haven't heard any players that have come out so far and said they are not willing to play or they don't want to play. I think by that was one of the reasons why they made sure that the only teams playing there are playing meaningful games. That way, if you're a team that has no opportunity to make the playoffs, you don't have to go and and chance and jeopardize future. You know, sickness, contracting the virus, any injury, anything like that. And let's see, other uh, other notes about this. So NBA is expected to allow 35 people from each team to travel. Uh, they felt like 28 people was the minimum each team needed to operate. But they do need some extra personnel to help teams go through the training camps, practices, all that kind of thing. They're going to house everyone at one hotel... And limit access to people outside of the bubble But they will be able to move around and eat At the at outdoor restaurants And have some uh, And play some golf, so recreation NBA will Keep the bubble tight though They, the players union And the league both felt that they should Allow the family members to, to come though This was an issue that baseball talked a lot about Not wanting to be away from their family For months and months at a time So it seems like once they know exactly what the playoff is going to look like, maybe three weeks to a month in, when all the teams that are going to be eliminated leave and now there's six less teams in there and now you're down to 16, then I think that they'll allow for families to come in. And they're going to have to deal with the same kind of you know, medical tests, um, temperatures, all that stuff. Quarantine before, tested routinely, everything. Even the Orlando Magic, who live right there, they're going to have to be in the bubble. Because that's the whole point, right? It's it's keeping everyone isolated. So, of course, bumping the season back bumps everything back. So the NBA draft lottery is going to be held on August the 25th. The draft itself will be held on October the 15th. And free agency will begin on October the 18th. So we could have like NBA finals finishing on like October the 10th. And then, boom, the draft on the 15th, free agency, October 18th. What they're going to do is the 14 teams that don't make the playoffs are going to enter the lottery. The lottery order will be based off the standings as of March 11th when the season was suspended. They give you an example that the Grizzlies would enter the lottery if they fall out of the 8th seed, but they won't have odds better than 14th because that's what their you know record was when the season was suspended. And then the teams like the Wizards and the Suns, they can't improve their draft status by losing some of these games now what do we know about next season I mean no real idea right next season's training camps could start November the 10th with a possible opening night on December the 1st 
And it is expected there will be a full 82 game regular season They don't know about fans I think they're going to wait a little longer Because obviously Playing without the fans would cost them Tons of money So I think they'll try to wait a little longer To start next season If they're able to End up playing at the beginning of you know 2021 with fans in the in the stadiums and arenas in in more of a full type set. So a big day for the NBA, a big day for sports in general. We've all been hoping um, to get some sports back, and now the first you know we've seen you know Korean baseball horse racing has continued. We've had um, professional wrestling, WWE and AEW and NXT. They've continued on, but as far as like major. Team sporting events in the U.S. I mean, also UFC has continued on. This is the big one of the big ones, and we know that the NBA is back, July the thirty-first. Let's get into our first interview. We're going to shift the topic over to horse racing, and we're going to talk about the stakes races coming up for this Saturday, June the sixth. We're going to talk about Churchill Downs. Stakes races. We're going to talk some of the stakes races at Belmont Park with Craig Milkowski, our good friend from Timeform US. So kick back and enjoy. Get those past performances out for Saturday as we talk some Churchill and some Belmont with Craig Milkowski. It's a big weekend in the world of horse racing. We have stakes races all around the country. And I'm going to bring in a good friend of mine, someone who you know the familiar voice of on That's What G Said many times. You've also heard him over on the Mike Abadir show, Craig Milkowski from Timeform US. Um, I've completed the week of the uh, the the pace cast and the for uh, and the forecast because uh, I had uh, David, your partner, on earlier this week, and now I'll uh, I'll do the other man, Craig here. Uh, so always great to talk to both uh, both sharpies like you. Thanks for doing this again, buddy. Yeah, anytime. It's always fun to be on. Uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to you with David. I imagine you talked about the opening of Belmont, but I will definitely get it, uh, make time to check that one out, even if it is a little outdated, as I always do with your show. I'm a uh, fairly avid runner, so I love listening to my racing podcast while I'm out there running. And um, I know you're a big, a big, you know, sports fan more so than, than the horse racing that we're going to talk about today. And one um, sport that you and I really like to go back and forth uh, with and have some fun and, and jab at each other with each other's teams and stuff is, is the NBA. And very cool, Craig, to, to find out that literally just hours before we we're recording this, it, it looks like the NBA has, you know, made the decision. I think the vote came in like 29 to 1 and they're going to be starting the season back up. On July the 31st I went through a lot of the specifics and the details uh, In the uh, in the opening segment But they're going to be all you know, 22 of the, the 30 teams in the league Are going to be playing the, the final 8 games of the, uh, A final like 8 games of the season To see who's going to make the playoffs The seeding and then we'll, uh, we'll get a playoff run So we're going to have a ton of basketball Going on from you know August, September And, uh, and the beginning of October yeah, personally, I wouldn't have been too disappointed if they just canceled the season just to take away any shot of the Lakers winning this year. Uh, <laughs> but since that didn't happen, uh, at least it'll give us something to watch during the daytime, I imagine. Uh, I got to admit, I, I've kind of lost my enthusiasm for, for the NBA and hockey during this time. But I'm sure once the puck drops and the ball starts bouncing, I'm going to be glued in. My Thunder are really a surprise team, and they're just—they're a really good what? team. So and they're I, fun to root I, for because it was yeah. such a 
like a year where you you don't go in with the kind of expectations. Like I f- I feel like from a fan perspective, this team is probably way more fun than some of the teams, even like the last two years where I think you've said on this show a couple times, you just felt like those teams had ceilings. They weren't going to go. This team has a good little young nucleus too, and they have plenty of pieces, lots of draft picks. You got a, gr- a really bright future. Yeah, it's a fun team to watch. They got a million draft picks. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with guys like Chris Paul and Danilo Gallinari, who have been just total pros and played fabulous basketball. Uh, Paul has another year left on his contract, but man, what a revelation he's been. I I was always kind of anti Chris Paul when he was on the Clippers. Just you know, I was always a Russell Westbrook guy. But getting to see him every day and how he's taking the young guys under his wing and, and got the vets to buy in. And he just said from day one here that the, this team wasn't tanking as long as he was playing because th- that was a lot of talk in the summer. The Thunder were going to just kind of blow it up and tank. And he Cut turned him, that around in a hurry. Him. Yeah, that was people. <laughs> a lot of people didn't think, and I was one of them, didn't really envision him even playing a whole lot for them. But um, yeah, I, I just, I like, I love watching your team too. You seem like they overachieve. And um, and he's he's done a great job leading them. So hey, uh, we'll we'll have some fun uh, NBA to watch at least um, coming up uh, at the end of end of July. But one one sport, Craig, that has not ceased even when a lot of racetracks had to shut down. There was always horse racing somewhere going on. And this weekend, it's going to be a little different than it was you know in the last few weekends because I think this feels like the first weekend where we have kind of major stakes races. At a couple of the different racetracks It might have hurt Santa Anita a little bit by that Because their fields aren't massive They do have a little quality in, in the fields There are some nice horses running We're just not getting deep, deep fields um, At Churchill and at Belmont they're, they're slightly better But the we probably won't get a massive payout In the first stakes race that we're going to talk about Or at least it's not likely that we're going to get a, a huge box car in the Aristides, which does have some quality sprinters. So, for those of you following along, get your past performances out. We're going to be looking at Churchill Downs' eighth race for Saturday, June the sixth, and it's a six furlong sprint, hundred thousand dollars Aristides. I guess we should probably start with the horse who, on paper, is the quickest, and he's really capable of throwing in huge races on his best days. Unfortunately. The last time we saw him, it wasn't one of his best days. It was a big field that had a lot of speed, and he just packed it in real early. We're talking about Bobby's Wicked One. Yeah, he's the the morning line favorite. He's actually a horse I picked last time out in the count fleet, and he couldn't have been more disappointing. Uh, He challenged early for the lead, but only briefly. I I think he pretty much packed it in before they'd run a quarter mile. And that was after winning a a couple of races impressively. But, you know, when you look back, he he was beating two three-horse fields, something you don't see very often. He was a controlling speed in both of them. And I just kind of hoped that last time he would be the speed of the speed, be able to clear and keep going. But that that was the furthest thing from the case there. Uh, so he cuts back here to something a little more his liking with only six horses. Again, he's going to be the probably the controlling speed on paper, but... He's one I think I'm going to take a shot against. Uh, looking through the rest of the field, another one some people might want to latch on to is Honest Mistiff. He's 5-2 to two on the morning line. Uh, he was kind of disappointing last year after yeah. he had a big win with a big uh, big figure win in his maiden. And he just kind of plodded along. He, he picked up a couple minor wins, but he really disappointed in the bigger races. He wasn't and with the top cut of three-year-olds last year. N- not no, at all. no. 
No, he certainly was, and he looked that way after he broke his maiden like he was going to progress, but it just didn't pan out for him. And he's a horse, another one I'm going to be against in here, even more so than Bobby's Wicked one. Uh, he just needs to improve too much for me on the speed figure scale. I know Chad Brown brings him back off the layoff ready to fire, but in addition to the layoff, he's really got to jump up. So no great shakes here, but the horse I'm leaning towards is volatile for Steve Asmussen. I think he's actually the horse to beat in this race. He's kind of the up and coming guy trying to, to knock a horse off like Bobby's wicked one, but he's been just super impressive. Uh, that last time, uh, he, he stalked what was a slow pace, but he showed he could stalk off of that pace and just absolutely flew home, got a big figure for me, and just looked like a horse who, whose future is very, very bright. And he, I think he's probably the horse to beat in here and the horse I'll be betting if he's anywhere near that two-to-one morning line. Yeah, he's drawn really well, too, with the way that this race shapes up, you know, because he has that kind of style where he's probably not as quick as, you know, Bobby's Wicked One or maybe one or two others in here, but he can sit and and kind of just... Decide when to kind of pick and choose And when to make his move there from the outside So we've gone through I think like the top tier of horses Of maybe like the next wave of horses As far as the prices are concerned Are any of those ones that you might think of using In, in some of your exotics So we're talking like Maniwa, Heartwood Or even Seven Nation Army I mean, I guess if I had to pick one, it would be Manny Wah. He ran third in that count fleet. We talked about that Bobby's Wicked one was in. He was a huge price that day. I think he was 70-something to one. I yep. uh, got, got a decent figure, and he always seems to show up in these races. He kind of threw in a clunk or two back, but for the most part, he always seems to just kind of lay in the middle of the pack and hit the board. So if I were playing exotics, he's one I wouldn't hesitate to uh, throw in second and third, particularly if a horse like Bobby's Wicked one gets challenged and kind of packs it in at a short price those are the kind that can often be you know they're win or, or nowhere kind of horses so he would be the one of the others that maybe i'd consider particularly in like i said those second and third slots that is race number eight at churchill downs that's the aristides and uh, beginning of the late pick four we're now going to move to race number 10 at churchill downs we're going to go to the grade three dogwood these uh, this race is for three-year-old fillies going seven furlongs and I guess we'll start with uh, the horse who has run two really good races And then uh, a race in between the two of them That was, was okay It was an okay fourth Kind of, I mean, really disappointing when you, you, when you, you, know, you use that race and compare the two But there's some ability, but I don't think necessarily an unbeatable horse in here That's the two four graces yeah, I think this is a pretty tough race, to be honest. Uh, Four Graces is one, I, I think, who can obviously win. She ran a nice 111 speed figure on my R scale. Uh, for people who aren't familiar, we're generally about 20 points higher than the buyer figures, if you want a rough comparison. Of course, horse to horse, that doesn't always work, but for the most part, it'll get you in the ballpark. Uh, but yeah, she ran a, a decent decent race with that 111 Uh you know, the one before that, it was a, a race that we have coded that the track was kind of favoring closers. She was up pressing the pace on, on a race that we have coded in red for a fast pace. So I don't have any problem giving that one a, a pass. Uh, she just didn't run her race, didn't run well. Uh, her jockey was ice cold at the time. Chris Landero, It was an in-between so. trip, too. Yeah, it was kind of okay. like went and then re-engaged and went and re-engaged. It, was, it wasn't the best of, of rides or best of trips. And he's definitely heated up a lot since that, that really bad stretch. 
Right, right. Yeah, he definitely has. And that's why I say it was kind of at the time he was just mm-hmm. in a really a great point, really cold streak. But she turns back. That was also a mile. Seven furlong seems to be more her thing. But I mean, I don't love her in here. She can win, but not a not one that I'm going to single or anything like that. Uh, I'd prefer Edgeway to her a little bit. The horse who's coming from Oakland. She won real impressively the first time out. She actually got a 111 time time form US speed figure in a debut. Jumped right in the stakes company at Oakland. Uh, it wasn't a graded stake, but something people should keep in mind for a while when they're handicapping these races is these races at Oakland were tough. Oh, and the there allowance were, races, not even the stakes. Yeah. yeah, some of those are deeper than the graded stakes you're going to see coming up this weekend for sure. Right, absolutely. So, I mean, you kind of got to give a pass. She lost to a horse like Kamari, who I think's headed over to Royals Ascot. Uh, Frank's Rocket beat her that day for second, who has won on the win really impressively at Churchill. And she ran the same speed figure, 111. Uh, what caught my eye last time is she actually came from off the pace. She was wide pretty much the whole race. Uh, showed a new dimension. She was able to win one of those tough allowance races at Oakland. Now, it wasn't as tough. She was four to five, and her speed figure did regress. So I think she's probably the horse to beat in here. But I'm actually going to go another way for my top pick, and that's Magic Dance, the five force. Uh, this is Steve Asmussen trainee. I, I think she's a really classy filly. She ran really well at two, won her first couple starts. Then she had a tough trip third in the Adirondack. Uh, me personally, I'm drawing a line through that last race as far as what happened. She she came back in a mile in a 16th race. She had one of those wide trips to nowhere where she was wide chasing the pace. And she actually made a nice move to kind of get up right near the lead at the top of the stretch before backing, uh, backing up through the stretch, which was understandable. Uh, Steve Asmussen doesn't really bring him back fully cranked. Uh, and I expect a better effort from, here, from her this time. Second down cutting back to that sprint that she showed she could handle as a two-year-old and personally she's the way i'm going to be leaning in here out of those three yeah i think a key it's funny edgeway reminds me a little bit of volatile in the other race and that it's just I, I really like the fact that she's drawn to the outside if she was drawn towards the inside a little more i might have some concerns but she she feels like she just is going to have some nice options from out there if they want to go if they want to sit which they showed she could um a couple other horses uh, just to mention I lo- I was really really high on uh, on Byerness after her November thirtieth win at Churchill. She actually beat Swiss Skydriver in that race, who's come back and become you know one of the top fillies in the, in the division now. And then she went over to Gulfstream Park on February the 29th in the Devona Dale, and she broke really well. She was like right on top of the field, but they didn't ask her to go on. And then she ends up you know kind of taking back on the inside. She gets caught. She gets shuffled. She has nowhere to go. And then she just really packs it in. I'm okay with giving. Her a mulligan in that race This barn has been really really firing With their limited numbers early on at the meet This horse is training really well I think from a distance standpoint It should hit her kind of right between the eyes um, I think she's a little bit intriguing Also maybe the four ain't no Elmers Because I'm, I'm with you I thought this was a tougher race than just You know four graces It does look like there are you know four or five Pretty quality fillies in here that that wouldn't shock me Ain't no Elmers if you If you're able to just excuse that last effort when she went long at Oaklawn and she ran into two really nice fillies um, that were one two that race in gaming and speech, then you know maybe she's the type of horse who could be either right on the engine or, or sitting close. So um, yeah, this this was a fun race to go because I, I think there are there are some fillies with some real ability in here. It doesn't seem like it just it has to be necessarily four graces or even the outside horse. You know, um, 
Edgeway, who you know you mentioned, you're going to make your top selection, the five, who's going to probably be you know four to one or so. Yeah, if I was going to throw one long shot in in the vertical bets, it would actually be the six lady glamour. Uh, she's 20 to one on the morning line, and she's a filly who showed some talent as a two year old. She uh, she didn't win much. She broke her maiden, but she, you know she ran well in some stakes races. And this year, it just started out as a disaster. She came back on a sloppy track at Oakland in that Kamari race with uh, Edgeway. Didn't run well at all. Never really ran a step. Then they tried her for some unknown reason in the fantasy, going a mile on the 16th in that Swiss skydiver race where she completely packed it in. But just when you're, you know, I was ready to say, well, she's just not the same filly. She came back and ran a solid fourth with a 104 figure on my numbers in that Frank Rockettes race at Churchill. So in the vertical, she's the one I'm going to use trying to, to get some value. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. She, she's definitely one to use in, in, in the bottom of some of your exotics there. Bejarano, I think sometimes too when you have a jockey, like he had been struggling out here on the West Coast for a while, and now he heads back to a place where he's actually had some previous success. It's, he feels a little rejuvenated here, um, kind of heading into it. We saw the same thing when Joe Talamo and Tyler Bays and Garcia, like the very beginning of when they moved. I think especially right away when you move your tack, you want to you wanna try your absolute best to, to ride everything you can all the way through the wire. So maybe uh, even for, for some of the minor Lady Glamour at a price So those are your two stakes races at Churchill Downs On Saturday Now we're going to head over to Belmont Park Belmont opened up just earlier This week, Craig So this will be you know like the first real Big weekend where we, we get an opportunity To talk about a lot of stakes races And we're going to jump into race number six First, which is the Fort Marcy And uh, I think What you really have to do in In all of these races now that are like Turf distance races on the east coast In the midwest really anywhere And and now it's kind of surprising that he doesn't send more To the west coast and try to steal the money out there You really have to kind of start with the Chad Brown horses because there's always going to be A couple of them they're always going to be pretty live So maybe it's like who's the, Who's the best spotted who's the best value Picking picking that What do you think of the, the import here A horse like Flopshot who's going to be uh, Making his debut for Chad Brown Hasn't raced since last August over in France yeah, before I get to that, I did want to talk about a little bit about the Chad Brown. People joke about sure. it. I joke about it a little bit, you know, when other horses, his lesser bet horses win, which, you know, has nothing to do with him. He, he's not out there controlling who bets who, yeah. you know, make the other Chad jokes. But I actually give him credit because the guy runs his horses. He's not afraid to put them in against each other. Yep. So, great point. you know, it's... Maybe not the greatest thing in the world for one guy to have so many horses, but it could be a whole lot worse if he tried to to avoid all of it, you know, running against himself and he didn't run as often as he does. So I've got no problems with Chad Brown. He's certainly an excellent trainer, the best turf trainer we have in the game for sure. So and, and there's a good point on that too. It's like in, in a lot of the races, it's a it's a damn good thing he does because they at least will 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 spread the money out a little bit. Amongst each other you know sometimes like you said If he was able to just have you know One of his horses and spot them all over The place a lot of times if he's got three horses In a race they're all contenders you take two Contenders out of that race now instead of a horse being Five to two they're you know they're four to five So I I think a lot of times it it Even does help as a better give get a little bit More value onto some of the horses you might like Um, He he has a, a strong Hand in here with you know The three um, horses he's got the the new the new face and then he's got Devamani and then he's got the horse to the outside in, in the nine um, Tribuvon so I guess of those horses do you are you really high on any how do you approach the 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 Chad group in here 
Uh, the way I approached it, I kind of looked and at don't it. Don't forget regard. regard, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and still regards, actually, I think he's the morning line favorite off the top mm-hmm. of my head for, from David Aragona that you said there. I, I'm really not thrilled with his last race. Uh, he, he had won that stakes race earlier in the year. He, he ran a good, good race in the Pegasus turf. But I just didn't like that fairgrounds race. He didn't do a whole lot of running. He got passed by some others, including uh, Synchrony, who's who's in this field. And granted, they, they did get beat that day by the Red Hot Factor, this, who ripped off a couple really nice races at the fairgrounds. But, you know, I, I'm not super confident that he's that good to be honest he he had that brief streak but for the most part he looks more like a a grade three kind of horse to me most of the time um the other so that i'm actually going to focus my wagering on the chad brown horses in here but not in still regard i'm actually looking at the other three and the one it's hard to say because you just don't know how they're going to get bet. but just to go in by the morning line flop shot would be my my top pick because he ships in from overseas and you know, he's not your typical, uh, a lot of these overseas horses you see, they've been running in handicaps or listed stakes and things like that, where you can look at the number nine horse in here, Trip Huven, who I think that's how you say it. I got it from Pete Aiello. I believe it was, <laughs> I actually watched a replay. I think he said Trip Huven. Um, you know, that horse came in off of some pretty weak looking races and, and, just ran a much better figure here. So I really take notice when a horse like flop shot comes over, who's been competing, you know, overseas in group twos, group threes, and not just competing, but hitting the board, won a group three at Chantilly in France. So that's going to be the horse I expect to, to win. He comes in with a 113 time form rating his last time out. He's getting first time LASIK. So it won't surprise me at all if this horse is able to run in the 120s. Uh, Trip Huven, who I just mentioned, he only came back in an allowance at Gulfstream. But that was during that stretch where there was no one else, to, nowhere else to run. It was a very tough field. Uh, Largen, who, who won that race, I think has already come back to win a, a small stakes race. Uh, and I was really impressed the way this horse flew home that day after getting kind of stuck in some traffic, rallied wide, and was just clearly rolling through the lane. And the other one is Devamani, the other yep. Chad, the other, other, other Chad Brown, I <laughs> yeah, guess. Yeah, the four. I, I shortchanged him when I said three. No, he've got four legit contenders here. Yeah, they, they all look decent to me. So I'm going to go for and that it's really worth watching the trip he had last time mm-hmm. he was kind of pinned on the inside he had to fight his way out and uh work his way out from the rail he wound up being the furthest most horse out in the stretch once he got clear and another one that was just absolutely flying through the lane i think richard grunder at tampa actually thought he won the race which i couldn't yeah. fault him it, watching the replay it looked like again. It. no he looked it looked yeah. like he, he did i thought so too i mean he just just missed and I make him my my slight top selection in here too because for a lot of the reasons you mentioned that trip and in the the race too that was a race where holiday was fourth in that race and he's come out of that race to win his next couple of starts and look really good over at Gulfstream Park and then the race prior to that for Devamani I think a very easy waste you can toss it was, he ran into a really sharp horse pain who we'll see a little later on on the card prior to that he had a win over instilled regard um on the on the grass at Aqueduct and then before that you just see some races that are all Pretty solid it, it just feels like He kind of took a little step forward in his last few I like him a lot he's in, he's in a good spot Here um, and, and I'm kind of I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of with you Being against instilled regard And I'm kind of a, a little a little cold on Synchrony too 
Who may have tailed off a little bit He's always come off as a horse who just seems to really do his best running Over at fairgrounds I never really kind of considered him With the top, top tier of horses And I think there has an opportunity for some of these Chad Browns to be um, Some of those top, top tier horses on the grass Throughout this year uh, One other horse to mention Where do you stand with social paranoia? I am totally against social paranoia in okay. here uh, His race two back he got the dream trip of life is what I like to call it. The pace was red hot. He just kind of sat back, circled around everybody. It wasn't a particularly strong field for that matter. Uh, the, the winner or the, the runner up sown by a, he's okay. March to the arch. They're okay, but they're just grade three kind of horses. Really the figure didn't come back strong for that race. So that's something when a horse wins a race like that with a perfect trip, still doesn't get a very good speed figure. Uh, I'm going to be against them when they move up in class. And I actually was against them last time when he, he couldn't even come close to beating Halliday. So, and I think the waters are a lot deeper in here. Let's move on to race number seven at Belmont Park And we're going to get to see the return and the 2020 debut of a horse who I think should many will project to be one of the, the better horses in the older horse division this year and, and probably one of the better horses in training And we'll see if he can you know, progress from three to four That's Code of Honor who's going to be a heavy favorite in this spot We haven't seen Code of Honor since his lackluster effort in the Breeders' Cup Prior to that, he was put up via DQ In the Jockey Club Gold Cup He had a really nice middle To the end of, you know, 2019 Before that Breeders' Cup race Where he threw in, you know, three or four Really good efforts in a row He was good in the Derby He was, you know, excellent post-Derby In the, the Dwyer And then very impressive in the Travers This is the starting point for him So, you know, this is this is definitely not what they have planned as their big goal for the year um, so, so maybe a spot to try to beat him But is there anybody good enough to do that with? Yeah, that's kind of exactly what I was thinking When I was looking You got to start with Code of Honor And for me, the way I look at races like this today uh, There was a race at Churchill with Guarana today uh, I think she wound up going off one it's to five It's a great comparison I, Yeah, it I either yeah, I look at him and I say either I beat this horse, I, I find somebody, a horse I really think can beat him, or I single the horse if I'm playing horizontals, or I just move on and, and watch, watch the race as yep. a fan. Yep. And, you know, I did try to find a horse in here, a Mijos uh, drew in here. Uh, he's a horse who ran a really big 126 time form US speed figure, which could get the job done here. But I'm a big guy. I like to really go back and look in charts. Uh, that's a big thing for me and see how the race has come back and that one i'll admit it's a little shaky it was a tough figure to make horses have come back a couple of them have won but most uh, i don't think any of the horses have actually matched their figure from that day they've all regressed five points six points so i'm not all that sold in that 126 so i, I don't want to be taking a huge shot with that one uh pain another chad brown horse uh, has been very impressive of late but he's got solid figures, and he runs in the 119, 120 range. But there looks like enough pace in here that it's going to be pretty easy for me. So it was hard for me to really come up with a case for anybody else. So as a better, I imagine I'm just going to watch this one as a fan, probably root for Code of Honor, because I never think we can have enough stars in this game. Uh, I guess I should mention Endorsed. He's a horse who, who ran pretty well at Oakland, but he didn't run particularly fast, and, and he's like the third choice on the morning line so not a big fan of his in here so for this one for me I, i'm just gonna watch 
Yeah, I, if there was a horse that was getting like a, a pace situation that I would like, or maybe just make a, a, a like a different horse in this field that might be able to get a little bit more of a jump that I felt confident on um, than than Code of Honor. But I feel almost exactly like you said. You mentioned like that next tier of horses, and that's like endorsed me host pain, maybe even senior investment who we've seen around for a while. I just don't know if any of them are, are really that level, and I'm I'm very high on Code of Honor. I actually uh I picked him as one of my like top picks in the in the fantasy horse racing league that I'm in this year too. So I hope I end up hoping he has a, a good year. I just don't. I, I would love to try to take a shot against him. I, I think this would be a great spot if there were a horse. I just. I myself can't find that horse and doesn't sound like you really could. If any of you out there can, like more power to you. Hopefully you can get rewarded. I just think this is going to be a, this looks like a good spot for him to come back and not necessarily have to work too hard and get a nice race under his belt to move forward. Yeah, this actually a race I was really hoping to see Mr. Buff come back in. Yeah, uh, you're right. That would have uh, you'd have been a great yeah. horse to play against. Yeah. Yeah, but I saw he just worked, I think it was yesterday or the day before. So he's obviously wasn't pointing for this one, but he's one to watch. But yeah, that's the kind of horse I was looking for. So since he's not there, I'm gonna be a team code of honor. We move on to race number eight, which is the Intercontinental Grade Three for Phillies and Mares, four-year-olds and upward. And again, uh, with Chad Brown, we have four. <laughs> we have the one Viadera, who you know, a new a new face, nothing to really knock on. You have Newspaper of Record, who was such a talented filly at two, but then had a, a very disappointing year at three, and and a very you know short year was just a couple of races. Then uh, you have another Chad Brown in Regal Glory, who is another filly who had a solid year. At three last year can she take um, You know the progression and the step forward and, and and compete with older here In her first start of the season and then You have a another Chad Brown to round out The field in significant form Who won this race last year and I believe is your five to two morning line favorite So I think at least Whether we're going to use them or not I think you Got to kind of have to start with this group Oh, yeah, for sure. And whenever a a race has a horse coming back that won the race the prior year, I kind of always give them a really hard look because you do see horses repeating races Mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, Significant form definitely won this race, you know, last year in in impressive fashion. Really good season. Kind of flattened out in that last race in the matriarch. Uh, She was in a bit over her head. you got Stormy, who who had run second in the Breeders' Cup, was in that race. But this seven furlong distance is really what she wants. I think it's probably her ideal spot. But I far from think she's any cinch in here. Uh, now I'm not sure she'll be the favorite. Uh, our our guy David Aragona had a tough job in here, but with that one in newspaper. All of these of races record. are tough right now. Coming back with so many of these horses, who you you're not sure if they're quite well intentioned or they might need a race. And these fields are really deep. You, there's been a ton of imports. You know. Over the first few days at Belmont too So I definitely don't envy him uh, Over these last few days having to put these uh, lines out Oh no he He's as good a morning line maker As Absolutely. we have these days I just wonder if newspaper of records Name recognition will be enough The uh, resume she's a, yeah. Right she was a horse who was actually entered at Gulfstream right before the COVID-19 stuff hit, and they, they wound up scratching her that day. There wasn't anything wrong with her. They just didn't want to kind of get her going when there was so much uncertainty. If you look at her workout, she's been working out for forever, uh, just 
you know, week after week ripping those works off. Uh, she had a little break in April, I guess, when they realized they were taking some time off. But she's a horse who I fully expect to be fit and ready to go. Uh, she's fast. I imagine she's going to be up close to the lead. That's how she does her best running. But there are definitely some question marks with her. Uh, she's a horse who has shown some some quirkiness. She doesn't particularly like being rated on the lead. Uh, she doesn't want to be off the lead. And I think the horse just to her outside in Jakarta is going to cause some real problems yeah. if she goes. Uh, she's a horse who drawn outside of newspaper of record. She She's just going to give her a hard time. So she's one I'm going to probably take a shot against. Uh, I'm actually going to look away from some of the Chad Brown horses in here. There's a, a kind of sneaky horse that I, I really think, and this coming from a figure guy. She doesn't really have the figures on paper to win the race, but I think no, uh, Rose Flower, the nine horse in here for Christophe Clement, is really going to run a big race. Uh, she impressed me last year in these uh, one-turn longer sprints at Belmont that you don't see at a lot of other tracks just because of the course configuration. But two back, she won an allowance race back in October where she overcame a really slow pace and, and won easily. Then she moved up into a stakes race, but at only six furlongs the autumn days. Again, she got absolutely no pace to run into. She came running late, but only got third. Uh, her speed figures haven't hit the 110 mark yet, but she was just a three-year-old then in his turn four. Um, I always look for improvement in these kind of horses. Christoph Clement really excels. These kind of races are right in his wheelhouse. So I'm looking for a price, and she's going to be the horse I, I key on in this race. I'm absolutely going to be using her in some of my exotics. I want to mention another Rose who's right next door, uh, Get Mother a Rose, who... I think has a little bit of a shot in here too. Another one who comes out of a race that was that was pretty strong. That race at uh, at Gulfstream Park on March the twenty eighth behind La Signore and Zofel. Those two actually just came back to run second and third in the Grade Three Mint Julep at Churchill Downs. Get Mother Rose was in tight early, steadied, lost some ground, then got hooked up, you know, in the two path chasing, angled around four wide in between. It just wasn't the easiest trip, the kind of trip that a horse like she would need to win on the grass. But she can get the kind of trip that she needs, and I think she's able to jump up and and put a, a really big effort together, like that one she put forth two starts back on February the 29th at Gulfstream. So if she's in that same range with Rose Flower, she's absolutely a horse I'll be using in some of the late exotics. I believe they've Said it's going to be one of those mandatory pick sixes Now on Saturday at Belmont Park And we're recording this Thursday evening There's actually going to be a, a late pick five carryover On Friday at Belmont Park So there could be a couple big pools paid out In the next few days So uh, a couple roses for us to perhaps be using In this one um, Any other horses in here I, I kind of want to mention Regal Glory a little I, I liked her a lot last year, um, Craig I think she's definitely going to have to Step up and improve This might not be I kind of have her penciled in circle just to watch down the line. I I would like her a, a whole lot more if she had a race under her belt here. And sometimes it's tough when you have a a filly who's been you know facing three year olds and now they're going to come off the bench and be facing an older group for the first time. Yeah, I don't have a problem with her. And one thing I can tell you, when it comes to Chad Brown, those layoffs don't bother me nope. at all because they're ready. Yeah, he just when he sends them, they're ready to run. Uh, there, there's no prep races for the most part for Chad. Uh, she ran, you know, spent her time running at a mile and longer the last couple outs. But if you scroll back through her PPs, she won at six furlongs in both of her first two starts before getting to those mile races. So she's one, like you said, she's another who who's pushing that one ten speed figure mark. But that was back in October as a three year old. And you know, keep in mind we're we're getting that late start this year. This horse is eight months. Older, so yes, that's uh, a good point. Uh, 
Yeah, a rule of thumb from the the old buyer speed figure books would say, you know, at least a point to a point and a half a month for these horses to develop it, it is what happens. So you can add a good 12 points to their figure. And that's actually a way you can create some value. If you think these horses, these younger horses who are turning, you know, two-year-olds who turn three and three-year-olds that turn four, uh, people are just looking at their buyers or their time form U.S. speed figures and, and thinking they're going to run back to that. If the horse is ready, it is not uncommon at all to see horses jump 15 points and win races just like this. Let's move on to race number nine, which I thought was a really uh, intriguing race to handicap. This is the grade one Carter going seven furlongs, three-year-olds end up. Many different contenders in here. We can kind of start inside and, and make our way through the field and, and, and hit a few of them at least. So a conversation that I think a lot of people are having now with um, these horses that are leaving the Jason service or the Jorge Navarro barn and coming into new barns is a conversation I had a little bit with David the other day. Um, how are they going to perform coming into a new barn with a new regiment, different style of training, you know, clean from not necessarily any substances or any uh, performance enhancing drugs and, and, and how, you know, we just don't know. And I think David hit it on the head too. We can't really generalize a whole lot in this situation. I think we have to look at each horse in particular and kind of take it on a case by case by uh, basis. This this horse was a service horse um, all along. He showed talent all along. He showed some ability. So I mean, I'm I still think that you'll probably get a good um, a good look at the frenzy fire that we've seen most of his career in a spot like this. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You have to take it horse by horse. Uh, and it's a crapshoot. It really is. Uh, blanket statements don't do you very well in horse racing, nope. no matter what you're talking about. So I, I don't want to use that when it comes to service and, and Navarro horses. But I will say this about Forenze Fire. As impressive as, as he has looked, he's really been beating up on weaker horses lately. Uh, every time he's been thrown into the fire, he hasn't run particularly well. Uh, he ran okay against Imperial Hemp when he was beat by a nose last year, but that's probably the time where I, I'm most, uh, I hate to say it, but just I don't trust the figures from the horses we're talking about there. So I, I'm not going to give him a whole lot of credit, and he's a horse I'm going to be against in here. If he beats me, he beats me, but he's a horse drawing the rail. He's going to have to go. Uh, there's there is some other speed. Our pace projector shows them on an easy lead, but that generally doesn't happen very often in a grade one race at seven furlongs. You got to figure at least another horse or two in the field is going to press for him. So I'm definitely going to be against Forenze Fire. There, there's always a horse like the number two performer in the New York circuit where there's like a really good sharp horse on the, on the rise, but totally under the radar. Cause they'll be kind of in some smaller races or you won't see them like on a national level. And that's who performer is in this spot. He hasn't done uh, much wrong. And, and he's been really nice since he's stretched out a little bit. So now he's going to cut back from a distance standpoint. He's hit, you know, everything from six furlongs to the mile and an eighth. And he's passed all those tests with flying colors I guess the question is with a horse like this, like how good is he? Yeah, I mean, he's good. There's no doubt in my mind he's good. He ran a 130 time form U.S. speed figure, which is just huge. It's a grade, grade one type number. But in this case, he's the morning line favorite, and there's definitely some questions. Uh, the first one is the trainer, Shug McGee. Uh, he doesn't 
really bring them back fully cranked, uh, particularly in a sprint late race like this. Uh, I know we talked about code of honor and not wanting to go against them, but I think this is a different scenario. Yes, the competition's completely, yeah. tougher. Uh, the distance is probably not his ideal, though he's won sprinting before. Uh, he really showed his best in that discovery last year at a mile and an eighth. So I just don't want any parts of taking a short price with him. Drawing inside is kind of another negative for me in this the one-turn race. Uh, so I expect a good effort from him, but I'm going to take a shot against him in the win end for sure. Um, we go next to him. We have still having fun in Nitrous. There are a couple bigger prices on the on the morning line do you make cases for either of them uh not particularly i don't think either one of them is particularly fast enough to win this race uh especially still having fun he's just okay uh you know he's not the kind of horse i would expect would be competitive in a grade one race the last time he tried it was against matoli before he was even gelded uh he was blown away at churchill and he just doesn't have that Nitrous, he he ran some decent races to to get a couple seconds last year, but he got really great setups, super hot paces. Uh, one of them, he was a well-beaten second behind Chance a lot. Uh, so, no, I, I don't think either one of these are, are good enough to win in here. If you're looking for a plotter, maybe you could get one of them into third or fourth. Next up is a horse who, I mean, I've, I've played him a few times here, and he... Is he fast enough to beat this group? I mean, I like the fact that Network Effect is lightly raced. He feels like a horse who still has more upside in here. He's going to be making his third start of the year, so he could be a little fitter than some of the horses in here. From a distance perspective, the seven furlongs to a mile might be exactly what he wants, but does he have the numbers and the figures? Is he fast enough to compete with some of these on their best day? Uh, in my opinion, he's not. He's a cut below these. He finally kind of like. put it together after some some not so good races the last couple of times. Even that time he was second, uh, two back wasn't the strongest race in my opinion. But you know he overcame a slow pace. I say overcame. He was just sitting just off of it. But the thing for me is there there was no real competition that day. It was a pretty weak field. He was three to five for a reason. He still didn't run that big number. So I think he's just a couple O, and I don't see him as a grade one horse. And then after Network Effect, we have another kind of slew of long shots in a row with Midnight Charlie, um, who's 50 to one on the morning line, which you don't see too often nowadays anymore. And then you have American Anthem, who was a runner-up last out, Bowen Raison. And then uh, Majestic Dunhill So of that next uh, tier of longer shots To any of them um, Going to be on your tickets Or to any of them interest you at all? Yeah, I actually like a couple of them Believe nice. it or not yeah, Amer- let's get into them Yeah, sure. American Anthem is a horse that I, I do like I actually had picked them last time out In the blame stakes at Churchill But he was scratched out of that one The race that was won by Owendale uh, Danny Gargan's been really hot he, he ran a good figure last time Behind Diamond King And Diamond King disappointed that day, but I don't think it was the greatest trip in the world. And at a big price, I'm definitely going to use uh, American Anthem. But that said, my top pick in the race is probably actually going to be Majestic Dunhill, the nine horse. Uh, I really liked his return race last time against Global Campaign. 
he had a terrible start. And, and as I was watching, I just kind of wrote him off. And this horse really came flying late. Uh, he's a horse who had some nice, has some nice back figures to run to. And he's just one, I think, at a price that's sitting on a big race, maybe has a fitness edge on some of the others. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he is the most likely winner when I say I'm making him my top pick. But he's a horse I think is going to offer real value. And at the price. The Absolutely. Yeah. We have to always take price into account when it when it you know comes into who we're playing on top. I, I love that. Majestic Dunhill. And I'm glad you mentioned American Anthem who has tons of you know back class and races that are good enough to win this and and the real key for me is that this is at 7 furlongs sometimes i think when he's at a mile it's like a little too short for him and it even feels like sometimes 6 or a miles a little too long for him and it sometimes feels like 6 furlongs is even a little too short so this this is where he's done a lot of his best work at this trip and he has that kind of style where he he has some speed and kind of put himself in a nice position but maybe adapt if if they go a little too quick and he has to sit he's a horse that i'm going to be using in a, a lot of my late exotics the 7 and I'll absolutely throw uh, your nine majestic Dunhill in here now because he kind of talked to me a little bit into him. Just on paper, he looks like a horse who, with one more step forward, will be right there with this group at a big price. The two outside horses are both going to take a, a lot of money. They're both going to take a, a lot of attention, and they both have some nice credentials. You have Mind con- Mind Control, who has won three in a row, and including a Grade One, um, likes this trip quite a bit. We have Vacoma, who people remember from last year on the Kentucky Derby Trail. Vacoma's kind of got that funky action in the front with the the way his, his leg kind of swims around. But he, so people, and I think the sentiment on him was, how far does he want to go? Well, you know, seven furlongs to a mile seems like a really nice trip for him, also. So with these two drawn to the outside, likes, don't likes, uses, don't you not uses. Yeah, it's hard to think Mind Control won't run a good race because he always does. Yeah. I mean, he, he's run 12 starts. He has two stinkers. One of them was around two turns in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And the other came when he just had a really bad start and got a wide trip the rest of the way. And, and just kind of the rider packed it in early. But other than that, I mean, he just shows up every single time. Uh, it's funny. I heard my friend of mine. Well, I'm sure everybody friend of uh, most people, Andy Serling. But uh, I was listening to him on Steve Bick's show, and he was talking about this horse. He's the kind of horse that gets you in trouble because he never runs flashy figures. He's not the fastest horse in the world. Uh, For a speed figure guy like myself, I always want to try to find ways to beat him, and and I'm going to do it again. And I'll probably be shaking my head after the race when he gets up to win by a neck or something like that. But... You know, I'm always going to bet against horses that don't have any real speed figure edge at short prices. So I'll probably take a shot against him. But I I do think he's a cool horse. And, you know, he's one of those. If he beats me, he beats me. And then uh, to round things out with Vacoma, who was your bluegrass winner from last year, multiple graded stakes winner. He made his return on March the 28th in the Sir Shackleton. He was pretty good that day. He got a big, uh, a big number, just like from a buyer perspective, he got a big number and he got pretty good figures uh, for the most part is he uh, a horse that you will include in some of your exotics yeah i will i i liked his return race he got a 118 final time figure for me we knocked it down to a 113 because of the slow pace but really that's that wasn't his fault he's not up on the pace himself uh i thought he ran fine that day he's that horse that has that really funny looking running style i was kind of watching that return race to see if it went away but i i guess it's never going away he kind of paddles out with that one (laughs) leg So just for that reason alone, I'm kind of a fan of his, but I do think he needs to take a step up. 
and he's another one of the short prices in here. Uh, the distance should be fine. I, I don't have any problem with seven furlongs or a mile, as you mentioned for him. Uh, I think that's probably going to be his best spots eventually. But, you know, in a race like this where it's real contentious and I don't particularly love the short prices, I'll probably be swinging for a score with horses like American Anthem and Majestic Dunhill. Uh, I've mentioned on Twitter, I'm more of a vertical guy for just that reason. I, I like to take my big swings. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I turn the page. I've, I've only lost one race as yep. opposed to a pick, five pick or, fives. I, I'm yeah. trying to get better at those. I, we've been talking about them on our pace cast with David. Um, I have the the definite weakness in those of just throwing out short prices because I don't think they offer value. But in a pick five, the chances of picking five winners in a row that are all overlays are probably slim to none in a game that, you know, the average is about 20% takeout or 15 on the win end or whatever it is. But uh, so that's definitely something I need to improve on. But until I do, I'll be sticking to verticals and this is a race I'm swinging. Absolutely. And in particular, like when you look at each sequence, you know, sequence by sequence, like if it's a sequence where, okay, you're looking at this race and for whatever reason you, you're, you don't want to play against code of honor. And then there's another race where you feel like it's going to be pretty chalky, then it might not even be worth playing. You know, if you, if you already can find two or three horses that are going to be tough to beat, you're better off just playing race by race. Where's the value? Where's the overlay in here? Is there one? No. Okay. Let's move on to the next race. And and then this is a, a good race here. Like the Carter where we have plenty of price opportunities, American Anthem and majestic Dunhill will definitely be some horses I'm throwing on my late exotic. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a good weekend all around. Like there are some, some pretty big name horses running between, you know, we see some good sprinters over at Churchill. We, we get to see a couple different divisions here and a ton of these Chad Brown horses. I think we've got like eight of them between the two races that are all like super live in their spots. And then at Santa Anita authentic, we get to see there and the gold cup. So they're not necessarily all fields of 12 and 14, but we do get a, a pretty good weekend with a lot of, um, of, of big name horses and some quality animals running. Yeah, I was really, for me, racing wasn't really back until Naira was back. Mm-hmm. It, it's my favorite circuit to bet. Uh, Santa Anita, to a lesser extent, uh, they're struggling with their fields right now. Hopefully that's going to improve. Uh, we didn't get to talk about those races, but there's certainly some big races out there that I'll be watching as a fan because they're going to have some impact on, on some much bigger races down the road. So it is really good to have all these tracks coming back. I think we get Monmouth next month. Uh, I did a count. I, I think we're going to be approaching 30 tracks back into July. So good times for horse racing, uh, getting over this COVID-19 stuff, which I'm sure we're all glad to have happen. And let's hope it really stays away for, for a long time or forever. And uh, we are uh, into the Elite Eight for the best football movies, Craig. And the one that you and I and John Mooses were rooting for has made it to the Elite Eight. Necessary Roughness. I had to watch that one again last night. So I'm going to do a show. I think early, I'm going to wait a few days before I put the Elite Eight polls out because I'm going to do a show early in the week that kind of breaks down a lot of these eight. So we're down to Remember the Titans, Friday Night Lights, Varsity Blues, Necessary Roughness, Brian Song, Jerry Maguire, and the Waterboy versus Rudy. It's a pretty solid group of eight. 
Yeah, it sounds about right. I, I got to admit, there was just some horrendous seeding going on. Some seeding, on there. I know. Like, we got to talk uh, to the tournament <laughs> committee. I mean, they're just atrocious. I mean, it, horrible tur- tournament committee. So uh, the one that we wanted badly, we couldn't quite get any given Sunday. It gave Rudy a good run for its money. It ended up losing 54 to 46 in a tight matchup. But uh, I appreciate you and uh, and a lot of the folks out there having some fun and, and uh, voting in the polls and, and, and commenting on because it's always a, a good time to, uh, to talk uh, back and forth about some of these movies that we love from when we were young or from from years back. I've actually watched almost all of these now in the last like week or so because every time I do one of these, I want to make sure that I'm uh, I'm fresh and ready to talk about them. So we've got a good uh, a good group of eight, Craig, and thanks for having some fun with us when we do the votes. Yeah, I'll definitely participate in that final eight, and I'm sure I'll have some sarcastic comments for you. But no, no, they're really fun. I'm glad you do them, and we've certainly had plenty of time to watch movies here the past couple months, so it's good, good thing that you're doing. Appreciate it. Like always, uh, I, I generally ask you for about a half an hour or so. We, I stole about 50 minutes of your time this time, but uh, give, give the folks out there your plugs. Where can we find you on social media and uh, some of the things that you're going to be working on? I'm at on Twitter. That's about my only social media. I'm Timeform US Figs, you know, just the the brand name and then F I G S. And then uh, we do podcasts. Me and David Aragona do a couple weekly podcasts. We've actually put one on hold for a little while. Uh, the Pacecast on Tuesdays. We're we're gonna transition that maybe do a little bit of that to be in the show friday but the most popular one is the ones where we analyze the races uh this week we're, we're going to do the some of the belmont ones we're going to do a couple we didn't do uh so there is a little crossover but not all of it and we're also going to talk about the santa anita races in instead of churchill so for those that want to listen you can find those on youtube on the drf channel they're also on soundcloud and all those any place you can get your podcast you can find us just look for drf and forecast or pacecast and we're out there craig i always appreciate talking to you tell uh tell the wife hello hope the family continues to do well and i look forward to uh, talking to you again good luck this weekend all right same to you gino talk again soon that was Craig Milkowski, Timeform US. You heard all the, the ways you could follow him online. One of uh, our really good friends here and a great, great follow. Someone you can interact with anytime you have any questions or you want to just talk some horse racing. So don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back on That's What G Said. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit. Um, Craig's super sharp when it comes to the races. You've heard him on here many, many times before. Always love having uh, Craig on. And our next guest, Emily, they're like some of my go-tos. Uh, you, you could, most of you know by now who some of uh, the uh, the regulars are when it comes to talking races. And Craig is one of them And our next guest, Emily Gullickson From Optics EQ Emily discusses the stakes races at Santa Anita They're not the biggest fields in the world But I think we have some vulnerable favorites So Emily and I discuss the you know four of the big stakes races there at Santa Anita Kick back and enjoy Get your Santa Anita Pass performances out for Saturday, June the 6th We got a big, big weekend of horse racing coming up. There are stakes races all over the place, uh, Belmont Park, Churchill Downs, and Santa Anita really has the focus with uh, the the biggest slate of stakes races. And we 
we welcome in one of my favorite people to talk horse racing with from Optics EQ, Emily Gullickson. Emily, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. Um, yeah, we were just like chatting before, and we almost like, <laughs> spoiled the whole podcast. I know we were. I'm like glad we glad you mentioned to hit record. We could have gone uh, and and just started talking and forgot we weren't even uh, recording. But you know, we haven't had racing back all that long at Santa Anita. The the fields, unfortunately, like on a day to day basis, are already starting to dwindle and not be necessarily like big like we've seen at some of the other racetracks. This weekend, we have some stakes races. Now, I'll say they're not deep fields. They're not big fields, but they're pretty quality. Like in in each of the stakes races, there are at least like one or two real quality horses that are worth watching or taking a shot against. That'll probably take a lot of money. So I think we have some uh, some at least interesting races to discuss. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, at first, you know, looking at it, you're like, all right, there's you know, 74 horses and 11 races. Oh no! And then you know, getting into the race, and I've spent some time on this card. Obviously, I had to write it up for Brisnet um, for the daily selections, but. You know, going through these fields, like, they're actually, like, they're betting races. You can actually, like, dig into it. You know, it's not like the five-horse field with, you know, the one-to-five shot where you're just, like, forget it. You know, so I, I think there's some opportunities on this Saturday card. So we're going to talk about Santa Anita's races. We're going to talk about the Santa Anita Oaks, which is the fifth race, the Santa Anita Derby, which is the eighth, the Cinema, which is the ninth, and then we'll talk about the Hollywood Gold Cup, now uh, again named the Hollywood Gold Cup, which is race number 10. So if you want to follow along, get your past performances out. We're talking uh, Saturday, June the 6th, Santa Anita. We're looking at race number five now. And Emily, I mean, in the last two races, We'd have to say that Swiss, uh, Swiss Skydiver has jumped right to the top of this three-year-old Philly division. She was really impressive in, in both races at, at Gulfstream Park and the Oaks. She she kind of was defeated a couple other horses who were getting a lot of buzz that day. And then she came back and she did really similar. She was 16-1 to 1 when she won the Fantasy. She sat and she was just better than Venetian Harbor. They, they battled. It looked like Venetian Harbor kind of put her away. And then she dug in and, and got by her late. She's not a need-the-lead Type Philly in any way, shape, or form. She draws the inside, but she's going to hook up with a couple other real quality, at the very least, speedy fillies in here. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, you know, I think probably it's it's safe to say there's you know there's three horses in here, and any one of those three it could win. Um, but yeah, as far as with Skydiver, I mean, this is you know McPeak is is he's so good at this, and this is like not easy. She's run at five different racetracks different distances and she just she shows up every time you know there's really not a race where you can go okay that was a bad effort you know she just she shows up um i will say if you're really you know nitpicking which you do have to nitpick at this point in time and with quality you know she did have a favorable trip even though she posted a big speed figure with that gulfstream parks oaks win um you know in the fantasy i you know that was awesome i mean she just sat upon the trip waited for her time but also um Venetia Harbor she set a really fast pace and she's tired so there there's a little bit of consideration there um and now you know she's got to kind of run a big race again um with a couple other solid horses and again at another racetrack and um at least she can say she's she's done the distance but um yeah I mean I can't I can't fault fault her in this spot no, and and I just to to also give a heads up, I ju- we're recording this Thursday morning, and I just saw that John White had mentioned that Smiling Shirley is going to scratch out of this field, okay. so it will it will just be the uh, the four in here, and he has Swiss Skydiver as a six to five morning line favorite, uh, Speech at eight to five, Marinette at two to one, five were entered, but Smiling Shirley has been scratched, so we can save anybody out there that's handicapping another minute or two if you're looking through. So now we get to Marinette for Baffert, who. 
she put it all together last time out. She sat off, but I, again, one of those things when you win by ten and it's in it's on the slop, you always have to kind of take a, a second look at it. A lot of times, many horses in the field like that don't handle it, and she did handle it and was able to draw off. But she's obviously got some talent. I think Baffert had said uh, in the first couple starts he was actually surprised that she she got beat. He was expecting uh, big things from her. You can see she got hammered at the windows. She's, I mean, at the very least, going to be a major impact. I'm going to have a major impact on this race because she's. Probably going to be right on the lead Yeah, no, I think that's that's How she's going to, she's going to win this race That's what they're going to do, it would be silly to do Anything different, and I think that does kind of You know, probably force the hand of Swiss skydivers mm-hmm. who are inside Because she's going to have to kind of keep up With her, right? Um, and Mernice Is going to go, and so you have the scenario Where I, you know, going through this race and not having The morning line, I thought she would be favored Maybe just because the local connections The big speed figure last time out, you know, the hype The hype always gets some um, Attention, even though she yep. lost those first two starts They were still good efforts, all things considered um, And so I think, you know, she's Got a real shot, as she gets to the front end Doesn't have any pressure, especially, you know, that takes Swiss skydiver kind of out of her race um, can kind of stick around late. So, um, you know, there is some concern. I mean, obviously you mentioned, you know, the sloppy track that was at the six furlong distance, um, you know, it was a, a perfect trip. And then she just drew off in hand um, posting, uh, looking at optics, you know, one-on-one optics figure, which was a, a big jump from her 80 and 83 in the first two starts. So if she is that kind of one-on-one horse and does have that front end speed, I mean, she, Big shot on the front end And then um, right to her outside Is a filly who She ran a bang up race last time out Speech she lost to a really nice Baffert Philly in gaming and prior to that She lost to Donna Veloce who's also another Really nice one and I mean she hasn't done a whole lot wrong You can see her progressing kind of Figuring things out she's become a little bit more um, Like tactical I think she can sit That may be the key for her in a Spot like this where she's drawn to the Outside of two it's going to be really interesting to see like what these three jocks do because I think you have three Phillies who all have some speed. If any one of them were on the lead, it really wouldn't shock. I think we both probably feel like Marinith is the fastest, and that's that's probably their best opportunity. But if, if she just is able to somehow sit off the two inside horses in this small field, she probably gets a great trip. Absolutely, that's the way I see it. I you know I like her for all those reasons that you mentioned. I mean, her race last time out was was really strong um, at Oakland Park, so. You know, she's second off the layoff. She's been tested at the distance. And she had some class as well, um, you know, from the place finish in the grade three San Isabel, and where she was kind of taken out of a run style a little bit. Um, I think she is kind of more of like a, a stalker, stalker type horse. Um, and so I kind of see, you know, her, her race is where she was taken out of a run style. I almost see that scenario for Skydiver in here. And then, yeah, Speech just getting that that perfect outside stalking trip. I mean, Regal Beauty, uh, she won on the front end last time out. You know, maybe Baffert entered her just to kind of help fill the field. And, you know, we'll see what happens with, with her. But she's just a little bit on the slow side. Even though she made the lead last time out, she's not fast enough to make the lead in here. It's so funny when you see a Baffert horse like that win at like 12 to 1, too. You, you, it just it feels so weird. And that was the case with Regal Beauty, who just did not get bet at all. But yeah, she, I think you're right. She kind of just fills in the field. Maybe if they go really quick early, she kind of just plod along and pick things up. I just don't think she's good enough to compete with the inside three in here. And I guess it kind of feels like we both think that speech. Based on the draw, based on the way she sit, she's able to sit a little bit. She's kind of improving at the right time. I, I like this filly in here. I was really high on her after her last effort. I I thought she was going to go by Gamine, and and there's no no knock in losing to that filly. 
Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, that was really like Gamian had it had her way in there and tripped. So I thought both those horses ran bang up. I think they're both B plus um, grades for their efforts. So that is race number five. Just a short field now. Remember, they did. Uh, they are going to scratch. Smiling surely. We're going to move now to race number eight, which is the Santa Anita Derby, and it's been um, quite a crazy few weeks. Um, to, I guess would be an understatement for Bob Baffert with um, you know stuff about Charlatan, and then Nadal's going to have to Nadal probably retire. I've even heard some things that said maybe not, but it looks like he's going to retire. Um, and now. And then Arrogate, unfortunately, who who was uh, one of Bob's uh, you know better horses of the last decade, who just passed away. And now you have Authentic, who's I guess kind of become like his one A one B horse now with Charlatan. I just have never really been as high on this one, Emily. I think as as uh, as, as the other two, and he's not necessarily like a huge gaudy speed figure type where he absolutely like towers over the rest of this field, and he does hook a. Couple other pretty quick horses in here Absolutely and I think That's that's kind of the key to this race There's a or at least with him um, And and I, he, what's the Morning line he's got to be the favorite right yeah I think Let me check I think he was four to five um, okay. yeah. In when I saw him come out yeah uh, So so from that perspective to me I, I think he's vulnerable I'm the same way I've just never really been a big fan And I think it just goes back to his, his last Two races where he's had a Lone trip and he's going to get pace pressure in here. Um, I mean, shoot or shoot, rushy. They both got, have speed. They're going to be forwardly placed. Um, and the other horses aren't slow either, you know, to kind of keep an honest pace. Mm-hmm. But those two horses in here, he's not going to get a lone trip. And so, you know, anytime you kind of have a favorite that's doing something new for the first time, um, you know, you're looking for any any kind of chinks in the armor. And, Especially and at four to five, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, his speed figures, like, He's run, again, I'm looking at optics, that's what I use, 88 um, on debut, then 93-93. There's horses in here, you know, Shooter Shoot ran a 99 last time. I know it's different racetracks and things like that, but it's not like he's got an edge in terms of speed nope. figures. His edge so far has been pace, and, and he just, just does not look like he's going to have a pace edge this afternoon. No, I completely agree with you, and I think you mentioned the other horses. Like, Shooter Shoot is legitimately quick. I was actually a little disappointed because he, I believe he was – Entered uh, to run against Charlatan again um, mm-hmm. And then he ended up scratching And that was, I was, you know, looking at trying to beat Charlatan last time in one of those Arkansas derbies He is a legitimately quick horse He's improving He, I think, just was maybe a little flat-footed Charlatan got out in front of him when they faced last time out But he's put a, cu- a couple wins together Rushy has looked really good Since stretching out, you know he's going to be right there in the mix So if we feel like it's going to be Um Pretty quick early on We're going to be looking for horses coming from off the pace I mean the, the logical horse in here Who would be Honor AP I think a lot of people And I wouldn't knock anyone really for using him He he won on the lead but that was one of those situations Where it's like hey we have the best horse We're just going to put this horse on the lead He's not like a need the lead type or he's not going to be on the lead He'll, He should work out a really good trip Stalking enough kind of speed To get himself in a good position They've been really high on this one all along And he I mean he seems ready to take a next step yeah, absolutely. I think he's in the kind of right place and time. I mean, going into San Felipe, there was some concerns, at least, you know, from me and some chatter, watching his works, maybe, you know, needed the race at a little bit short and still ran a good race. So, you know, from that perspective where he's been able to have that fitness, um, you know, kind of moving forward in the second start of his uh, three-year-old season and then just trip. So he, you know, he kind of checks all those boxes um, on that perspective. And I, I think he is super obvious. You know, I'm going to 
I'm going to mess around with Friars Road. Kind of the same Thank you. Thing. I'm I mean, glad you mentioned him. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, just, I had a feeling you were going to say the same thing. But, you know, he's uh, another horse that's just been improving. Um, first start out just seemed like a prep. He improved with more distance. And he really took a big step forward um, last time out at, at Oakland Park. Now, I mean, he's a maiden, and he's going to step up into graded stakes. And I that... You know that is a big move, regardless. But I just think there's, you know, he's kind of got the right, the right type of progression coming into this race at the right time. This season has just been so chaotic with everything moving around that it's sort of like he's been so close to breaking his maiden before. I mean, he's been holding himself well in good company, and again, just could get the right trip um, in this race. Absolutely, I think he saves all the ground from the inside. He, you know, we'll just see how good he is. But trip wise, he really, really should get a great, a great trip. And then, you know, the the one horse who he has not done anything this year. If he were somehow able to jump back to one of his better performances from last year, he feels like he would be the type of horse who'd get a great trip. That's a new door. But we've just Emily, we haven't seen any of these horses who were like really good and precocious at two from this crop. Progress it all to three. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. I mean he's 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 not a horse that you can take off those last two races. I mean if somebody can make a case, um, I, I hit me up. Like yeah, let me know me if you too. can make a case for those two races. But the the case to be made for him is the fact that if you if you are on the case of me and think that authentic is vulnerable. You are not going to let another horse at a big price beat you. Mm-hmm. So he's usable from that perspective because he has races that can win. Um, and he could, right? I mean, if he just kind of, you know, blinkers are going off, he's getting a rider change. I mean, there's some changes in here um, that could make him be a factor. I think he's one that, honestly, I think he's kind of more of a turf horse. And I think that's why in those first couple races, I mean, obviously, Golden Gate, he was on the turf, but just kind of being outside and in front of horses. Um, you know, sort of benefit him just from his his kind of running style. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're just against the favorite, you just wouldn't want a big horse beating you. Just if, if chaos kind of kind of broke into place. I mean, that's you know that's sort of the way I yeah. see it. I mean, Azul Coast, um, sort of the same thing like mm-hmm. with the other Baffert and the other race, where he's just a little bit he's slow. I mean, he just hasn't run a fast race. And you know, at this point in time, you can make some case that these are young developing horses and there's some progression. Um, and and he could take that step forward, but he just hasn't shown any progression in his first three races to see that he's got that kind of five ten point improvement um, that he would need in order to compete with some of these other horses if they brought their A game. Yeah, he would have to improve while like everybody else would have to have a really kind of down race all at the same time. He, he gets like a trip, but I, I'm with you. He just feels like way more of a, a filler in here. So yeah, we have not not a. A field of 12 or 14 But we have a couple real quality horses And this is a race that's going to tell a big tale Kind of moving forward is like Who are some legitimate contenders in here Because if Authentic can deal with this kind of pace pressure And and deal with You know a couple horses to his inside Really making him work and then he's still You know got the goods then then I'll be the first to say you know what the source is a little bit better Than I thought he was but I want this is what we Want to see as as racing fans and as gamblers We want to see them have to deal with Something that they have in or have to like you know Really have to earn it so this should be a fun Race to see which uh, which you know how good Authentic is absolutely Okay let's move on to race number Nine we're going to get onto the grass Here and this is the cinema We're going to be uh, three year olds going A mile and an eighth on the turf Course and you know At first glance there's not a ton of speed I think you have the one horse from Golden Gate Who may be a little cheap speed for Callahan Who won up there against Maiden 20s 
So I'm not necessarily I, I, For me as high on the deep deep closers But there's two horses who you figure Are going to take a bulk, of my, a bulk of the money in here They were both pretty impressive um, When we saw them I think the, the first to start with is in the outside with Haribu mm-hmm. Yeah I think we probably see the same way with Haribu And Liar Liar is that kind of the other way you're yeah, going Yeah Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I mean pace and, and the thing is when you have class on the turf Which I think both these horses have class on the turf um, you know, and the cheap speed, and there's a chance that like things could bunch up. Um, they could still work out a trip. It's just it's kind of one of those type of scenarios where other horses have to leave their running style and, and class just kind of prevails. Um, I will say, and this is why, like I, I upgrade Haywood's Beach because yep. I know he doesn't look like it. His running line kind of gives more of like a presser type look, but he was actually kind of the best of the speed in that race. And um, which shows that he has he has tactical speed. So if he does make the lead, he's not going to come out of his running style. He's already run at nine furlongs. So I just think based on pace, he has to be upgraded. But I do think like class wise, you know, Haribo looks pretty solid in here. And then kind of second off the layoff with some improvement, liar liar can take a step forward. Yeah. Um, Haribu, he, he, he just seemed like real Kind of professional and handy He was like weaving through traffic And then things oh, He kind of split horses again Kind of bowled his way out He just felt like a horse Who was very Like well intentioned And and, and is going to come running um, You mentioned Liar Liar Who's He just It feels like this race Is going to set up well for him He's had some excuses He's had some trouble here and there um, and, and then I, I think If if you're looking to play this race from like a, a wagering perspective and, and we'll see when the prices come out I haven't seen the, the morning line for this one yet I think you hit the horse with Haywood's Beach I loved his race last time out He was really impressive He dealt with all that pressure from the inside Like three other horses battling him Then he put them away And he had to deal with another horse that was like coming late And he put that one away and started to draw off again so I think he should get a great trip, but you hit. I think you hit it. It's like I don't know if any of them, even with their best trips, are quite as classy as the one to the outside. Um, what about KP? All systems go. He he was pretty impressive with a huge move last time out, but he's he feels like he's still going to have to improve a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a stablemate to to Haribu. He's had a little bit of a pace flow and. Not so much in his most recent race, um, but definitely in the maiden win, he had the flow kind of closing off the pace, which kind of made me a little bit um, skeptical on him, you know, in the Mm -hmm. most recent race. That was March 20th. Um, And I think he still kind of got a trip there where everything was kind of going hot for the barn. So, um, you know, kind of have the same running style as a stable mate and just maybe just not as much speed and not as much class. So I have a hard time, you know, if they're both the sort of same running style to make a case that, uh, KPL systems go is going to like out kick or out. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. If if he yeah. was like a little more tactical or right. was a horse who could get the jump, but when we're proje- if you're projecting a, a race that could set up for Haribu, it's probably not going to you know yeah it doesn't make sense to go that way. That's a good point. So yeah, yeah this is um, the Cinema, which is race number nine at Santa Anita on Saturday, and we are going to move. Is there anything else you want to mention about this race before we no, hit the no, gold cup? Kind of, uh, yeah, no, I think we, I think we hit it. Yeah, I think <laughs> I so too. <laughs> uh, we'll get to the gold cup now. Uh, I believe they're using the Hollywood Gold Cup name again for this one, and they're going to be a mile and a quarter. And I think that's a real, a real key to these races. These races at the classic distance, you know, um, when we see. Some horses that just don't that are really good horses that just don't want to go the mile and a quarter that that might be the case with a couple of these in here. So higher power is actually installed as your morning line favorite. And he's a horse who 
distance wise, we know he he can run a mile and a quarter. It's no it's no problem for him. But is he what the they would call a, a slog? <laughs> <laughs> He has slogged it many times. So, okay. yeah, I, I think that you do, you know, when you have a favorite again, it's like you're looking for all those little things that he could break slow, um, you know, and then work a trip. But, I mean, even still, if he does kind of break a little bit slow, there's enough speed. He doesn't – he's not been, you know, real compromised. Um, you know, might be able to recover from that, but definitely keep it in mind. I mean, certainly can rebound. You know, he was unable to run with Lasix at Gulfstream Park. Um, they took the blinkers off, which for some reason I'm not really sure maybe – they thought the last, that would help out of the gate. You know, I don't know. But he seemed like he kind of improved with the blinkers on, and the blinkers are going back on. You know, he's had time. I mean, Gulfstream Park is just it's – a, it's a quirky course. Yep. I mean, some horses just don't like it. Um, there's more kickback on that course than I think people realize. So, um, you know, I could see he – certainly, he certainly makes sense in here. I mean, he's he's got races that can win this. And I think that you kind of hit it as far as the distance, that being a – factor and certainly something you have to keep in mind with improbable um because his most recent race was good i mean that you really you good would yeah i don't want to bet him back off that race but coming back he's just never kind of struck me as sort of a classic distance type horse is going to have to go longer um and i mean even at the graded stakes level he's kind of questionable i mean i know he won the low south futurity but you know, low south futurity at two is a lot different than facing grade one horses um, as an older horse. So, and I know he hasn't run bad, so I'm not trying to pick on him, but I mean, it's just one of those things that at the grade one level, class is something, and you just kind of see he just tends to be a little bit below. So I think there's there's just some knocks on him on a horse that's, you know, technically like in form and fast enough to win this race. Yeah, we've we always kind of had that question with him, I think, you know, through his, uh, you know, Three-year-old races. How far does he want to go? Does he really want to go that far? Because he would he would loom up a lot of the time and then kind of flatten out. He would. He seems like he might be a real good miler. Uh, you know, because he ran really, really well last time out against Tom's Detot. And he he's going to be. You know, I think he's uh, he's at two to one with midcourt at two to one um, behind right behind Higher Power, who's nine to five. So he's another one of those short price horses that I think we have enough knocks on to unless he were to float up a little bit. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be using him or necessarily King any exotics around him I'd get a little bit nervous when they turn for home That he's going to start getting a little tired At that point So I mean when I handicap this race too I think I for me I'm looking definitely for the mile and a quarter horses There's a horse who I end up using uh, More like a lot of the time And I think I'm going to I'm going to get caught back up onto him again today And that's uh, or on Saturday and that's tenfold um, Towards the outside yeah. Who he he just he like he's not consistent, you know. He and he he has an excuse here or there, but then sometimes he throws in clunkers. But I think he's just one of those horses who's best when he shows up with a really good effort. It's definitely capable of beating a group like this. He actually comes out of a race that's a, a been sneaky good so far by my standards. Came back and uh, he's become you know one of the top older horses in training. And Silver Dust was in that race too, and he came back and ran pretty well. Um, I think it was back a week or two ago. So tenfold, I, like. He doesn't have a whole ton of speed, but he just feels like the type of a horse who, you know, against some of these West Coast horses who may not want to go that far. He he kind of reminds me of the horse who who uh, who won a race similar to this in Combatant. You know, he's just like a horse who can come out here and maybe steal it because he doesn't mind going this long. Yeah, no, I I think he's I think he's legit in here. I mean, just from all those things. I mean, there are obviously the question marks with him, um, but the ten furling distance. I mean, he's won at that distance. So mm-hmm. he won the Pimlico Special, and even his race in the Pacific Classic, I think, was sneaky good. I mean, he had to move against the flow. He lost ground early. Um, 
and just seemed like he had some upside off that race. And he just, you know, I know he hasn't quite like, quote unquote, moved forward off those races. But I think if you just look at the trips, you look at the, you know, the layoffs, the track profiles, you know, things like that. It's like those those excuses are kind of built into him um, to where, you know, you can't really say like, you know, he's he's super fast. I mean, what you see is what you get and it's going to come down to trip and it's going to come down to, you know, I think Asmussen struggled out here in the past and I you know, I think in some ways he wants to redeem himself on that front. So I think he's coming into this race, you know, really live. But if that's good enough, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I mean, in terms of consistency, if we're talking, you know, two to one on um, improbable or midcourt, I, I would lean with midcourt. I just think he's been so solid since, uh, you know, John Sheriff has had him. And I think probably some of that, too, just whatever issue kind of held him back in his uh, juvenile season, coming back as an older horse, getting that behind him. I mean, he's just been like, he's been so rock solid. I mean, even, even in his third place finishes, it's like, you can make excuse, you know, he was against the flow last out in the Santa Anita handicap, the top two finishing together um, and coming from off the pace. And then he had, he broke slow and had wide movement. He had trouble in the um, San Antonio. So it's like, those third place finishes, which are surrounded by ones, um, you know, he didn't run yeah. back. So I just think he's, you know, he needs a horse. He's going to get the distance. I mean, he's just kind of one of those. He, he kind of fits like a Hollywood gold cup horse, yep. you know, just he, one of those horses. That's he just, does know. Like, <laughs> he that's just good, fits, man. He, he just feels like, no, he feels like up. this is a good, this is like a spot for him. There's not a ton of speed. He's probably going to make, I don't know if they're going to send Brown Storm again, maybe we like long shot and say, hey, let's put him on the front. And maybe he sits just right behind him. Or if he ended up on the lead, it wouldn't shock either. What I really liked about his last, uh, his last effort too, which was still his first time going a mile and a quarter. So it's, that's another thing also. It's like sometimes you got. To give horses a couple opportunities to, to go the trip just because they don't do it the first time doesn't mean they can't. What I liked is he looked at the top of the lane the way that combatant was looming up. He looked like he was gonna done and then gonna back up, and he really battled on all the way. Like he got game, he got determined, he wasn't even beating the length. He was kind of just really, really sticking his nose out and trying and fighting. And, and that's what I love to see. Like he just didn't get you know blown by and put away completely. So he feels like a horse who I think is going to be right in the mix throughout and um and he if he's you know if, if he's good enough to beat this group, I think tripwise he'll have every opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. He's a total just must use in here. So, yeah, we I think you know parsimony who comes back Probably won't be in Brownstorm. Maybe we see on the front end. Um, either, either you know, of those have anything you want to mention? Um, I, I mean, p- parsimony. I've just never really, <laughs> really been like a fan of this horse. I'm yeah. kind of bad for him at times, just because he's been put in some some really t- tough spots. Um, and. You know, I, I don't know. Speed figure wise, he's he's on the slower side. It's hard to really know what you know what the um, made on numbers are. But I mean, his highest speed figure uh, on optics um, was the 95 in the sprint race at Del Mar, um, and the 95 in here, which we have below par. So it's hard to make a case for him. Just you know, trip. Uh, you know, they're probably going to send. I mean, what other chance do they have? They've got to kind of go from the inside. I mean, they're not going to outkick any of these other horses. And then uh, you know, Brownstorm. I don't know. I kind of almost have like the same feeling where it's like I don't know I, there's he, he's faster so he has that going for him than uh parsimony but I, I don't know if it, you know he's quite in the right spot either he's just had you know he's had some trouble in his first two races um 
you know, distance, I don't, I know it kind of looks like maybe distance is a factor, but I don't think it is. I think it's just been more trip in those last two. It's just kind of quality and, and finding the right spot for him. But I think there's something there. It's just at this point, it's really hard to kind of like make a case that he's the horse to beat. Um, you know, he's kind of, he would make sense to me as a C um, just again, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's hard to, it's uh, where I think higher power, you know, certainly fits as the favorite. Um, not a horse I have like a whole lot of confidence in and certainly not with improbable. And then, you know, it gets a little bit fuzzy. So, you know, of those two, if you're going to make one a C, I would go Brownstorm. Santa Anita Saturday. Um, we're, we're going to see some development. We're going to see some real quality horses in the Oaks. We get to see, um, a couple nice up and comers and then sky, the skydiver who's like the now Philly and one of the top in the division in the Santa Anita Derby. We get to see, um, Authentic and then many people are high on uh, The prospects of honor AP And uh, and then when we get to the 10th You know anytime it's a it's a big race like this It's always one to watch it's the it's the gold Cup and these are some some good Older horses like maybe maybe Improbable is grown up is matured and he Can handle a distance like this and he and he comes Back and runs a big race and then he's a major Player moving forward in the division who knows Maybe higher power can get back to you know Some of the big races that he ran last year So a lot of fun I think a lot of intrigue In this card even if it's not necessarily one that that you're going to be finding 15, 20 to one shots all over the place. You might be able to beat some of these favorites. So just kind of see who gets bet, who doesn't. There'll be some overlays and some horses to play. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a good card. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Emily, so we're actually recording this like early Thursday. So I don't think it'll be out. It'll probably be out like late Thursday night. You'll have already done uh, the next um, Optics EQ webinar. Are those like a weekly thing now, or is it just kind of like spot times when you're when you're doing those? No, we're going to try to keep them um, weekly. And we say Thursday because we kind of get the data and have a chance to, you know, kind of let people look through the races. But, yeah, we're going to um, every Thursday, 4 o'clock, um, you have to register because, you know, we, we give out, we do it on Zoom and you need to have a code and we don't want to get hijacked. So, mm-hmm. um, but but they're free, you know, just, you know, register, send us an email and we'll get the link. Um, it's been good. It's been, you know, going over the races a lot like what you and I are doing here, but trying to do it more for, um, you know, for optics people that are kind of getting used to, Using optics and trying to learn some tricks And um, and then also you know Opening it up where people are, are teaching us Some tricks along the way so it's been Really good we've had um, you know a lot of positive uh, Feedback out of it and we Just want to kind of keep it consistent um, For that perspective you can find Emily on Twitter at Emily Optics O-P-T-I-X-E-Q And then um, for selections And stuff right now you're doing um, what Everyday Santa Anita Everyday Santa Anita, um, I'll be Southern California um, until that changes. So, you know, Los Al, Del Mar. Um, Woodbine starts this Saturday, so I'll have my, uh, you know, race, at least a race. Um, Looks like it's going to be a couple races for Saturday. Um, You know, over there on woodbine.com, hashtag betwoodbinetb. And then um, I'll do uh, daily selections at Brisnet for Indiana as well, and that starts up um, the middle of the month. Oh great, cool. So one of the uh, one of those days then I'll bring you on and we'll do some like early week uh, Indiana. We'll, we can talk some of the early, oh, they're yeah, be, what's their what their right. This will be my second year. Um I you know, I like this I liked it. I Me had too. Season. Yeah. I, really I love the track. It. It's a good track, yeah. It really is. There were some good quality races. I mean, this year they're going to run Monday through Thursday, I, I believe is what That's they said. Awesome. So, that works Yeah, great. it's going to be uh <laughs> 7 days a week for me, but you know, can't complain. 
Cool. So we'll bring you on and we'll uh, we'll we'll handicap a couple of those early week cards uh, coming up sometime soon. Emily, thanks again. I always let everybody know you're one of my favorite people to follow, one of my favorite people to talk racing with. I appreciate the last couple of years you always coming on the Mike Abadier show, and now that's what G said. And uh, look forward to talking to you again very soon. All right, you too. Good luck this weekend. That was uh, Mayhemily Emily Optics EQ on Twitter. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to take a quick break here from one of our sponsors, but you'll be hearing plenty more on that's what G said. And thanks to Emily Gollickson, Optics EQ. Make sure to give her a follow and make sure to go check out some of those seminars she does. You you uh, can always tell she does such a great job handicapping the races. And if you want to get a, a look at the uh, the Optics products, and you know you can get an, a better idea how she interprets it, um, all of the information, how she uses it to analyze races on those seminars. So make sure to give her a, a follow if you don't already and uh, follow along. I'm always uh, checking out some of my friends in, in racing, their opinions before I make my wagers on a big day because it's it's like anything, right? Like I'm not going to do very very much or very often like blindly follow someone's pick five and bet whatever their ticket is. But if I'm playing a, a sequence myself and and I have a strong opinion in one race and maybe there's a different race that I don't and I'm spreading out and then Emily mentions a horse or Craig mentions a horse or you know um, you know Sean Alvarez or, or David Aragona who we had on earlier this week or Scott Shapiro or Darren Zocali or whoever we have on. if they mention a horse or they start to talk about a horse they have a strong opinion in a race where you don't you know that's how you have to use the information don't always take the information and then use it in a race where you've got a strong opinion and then go the other way, use it in, in spots to help you, right? Use it as a positive in places to add then, and then more than subtracting from your own opinion. Um, listen to as many different shows and as many different people as you can. And then just try to be a sponge, interpret all of that information. Some of it you like, some of it you don't like. You can feel, as I think Sean mentioned this the other day when we we're talking, you can get a better feel for who handicaps like you, who uh, is uh, you know who's got a, like a an approach similar similar to yours? So uh, thanks again to Emily and thanks again to all the folks we had on this week who uh, were great interviews talking different racing. We're gonna go in a different direction now for the first time on that's what G said. We're gonna talk a little bit of UFC UFC 250 on Saturday. What uh, many call the greatest female fighter of all time, Amanda Nunez, will be in the main event. And a gentleman who plays the UFC regularly, who knows the UFC very well, Howard Chinchuk, he comes on to discuss some of the big fights. We talk about some of the fights that he may be wagering, some of the prices to look at, why he likes certain fighters, and we set you up for UFC 250. Enjoy this interview with Howard Chinchuk. <laughs> We're going to dive into some UFC for the first time on That's What G Said. It's been uh, about 14, 15 months I've been doing this show, but we've never sat down and previewed a UFC fight. I think right now is a perfect time to do so. Not a whole lot of other sporting events going on. Hopefully, you know, baseball, basketball be getting back into the swing of things soon, but UFC, they haven't really skipped a beat. They've been able to put on a lot of these fights. They don't have a lot of the international flavor to them because of some travel restrictions. But we're going to have a very special guest joining us for the first time. Someone that I've interacted with on social media for the last couple years. Someone who knows UFC very, very well. Professional better, Howard Chinchuk. Howard, thanks for joining me today. 
Anytime, Gino. Anytime. Really, really appreciate this. So let's uh, let's introduce you a little bit to some of the the folks out there. How do you become get a professional better? Give us some of your background, and, and then we'll start talking UFC. Went to the track first time in 1973. Was there for when Secretariat lost the Wood Memorial. Wow. First time I ever went to the track. I bet the horses for 44 years and finally gave it up because a friend of mine is the best gambler on horses on the planet. And I just realized I wasn't him and decided to give it up. It's been, and we, you and I have talked about this too with racing a little bit too. It's just gotten, it's gotten harder and harder and harder in the last, you know, 15, 20 years in particular to make money. The field sizes are shrinking. There aren't as many opportunities. There's a lot more information out there. So maybe a horse that, you know, 10 years ago would have been 10 to one. Nowadays, they're five to two um, some of the time. So it's, it's as someone who grew up in racing, I love it. My mom and dad met each other there. I can completely understand if you're someone who's played it for a long time and you and you bet other things why you would gravitate toward other sports and kind of away from racing. It's just the takeouts very high and they haven't really continued to come down. So it's a little unfortunate. It's just something that you got to kind of pick and choose your spots in a little bit more than play it every day like you could. Yeah, and then also with the 50 cent wagering, 20 cent wagering, a pick four that may have paid 10,000 20 years, you know, 15, 20 years ago is paying 3,800. Dilutes the pools. Yep. It does. It just gives people have more opportunities to spread out a little bit. And you know what ends up happening sometimes, Howard? Like it's the, it's the basic, like when it comes back, favorite, 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 sometimes it's a little bit of an overlay because so many people have spread out all around trying to beat those horses. So it's just, yeah, I'm with you. When you look at Los Alamitos, sometimes they get, Really, really formful results that still pay well because they still run that one dollar pick for minimum. Completely agree with you. There's just um, not a lot of great oversight in the way horse racing has been run for the last while, and they just as as someone who loves it and still plays it on you know a ton, they don't treat the customers great, and it kind of it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Yeah, no, they've run the business into the ground. They. Never appreciated the gambler, just took advantage of whatever, and people are dying off and giving up. And the younger and people, more... the younger people don't get into the horses. You know, they don't want to go to track and wait thirty minutes in between races. You know, it's a microwave culture now. You know, you want your food in a minute. You know, it's just the way things are. It just, it's going to go by the wayside, unfortunately. It's a yeah. game I love, but. I don't see long-term at lasting. Yeah, and, and when you're someone that's young that's kind of coming in into gambling, there's so many more options now in different sports and how you can play things. And now with the the advent of in-play wagering, like you said, you can quickly make play on the next shot, on the next goal, on the next play. What's going to happen then? So, um, yeah, it's... It's unfortunate um, in horse racing, and, and even now when they had a, a, a couple months where it seemed like they were the only game in town, they didn't really take the ball and run with it as much as they could. Um, it's one of those things where you just feel like you would need somebody to come and take charge of this this sport that thinks outside the box, and I, I just can't see that um, ever happening, uh, unfortunately. But but we'll, we're going to transition over now and start talking a little UFC. There's a, a big card coming up this weekend, and um, we are recording this conversation on Wednesday night. Well, so we're still 
There's, we're still a few days out from UFC <laughs> 250, Howard. So th- some things can happen in the next few days that could obviously change, uh, change minds, change opinions. But we have, uh, for for those folks out there who might not be big UFC fans or who might not be big be big fight fans, we are going to see in the main event um, a woman that is is referred to as the greatest of all time when it comes to MMA. Someone who has been Really incredible uh, in her last I think 10 fights she's won in a row Seven by stoppage we're talking about Amanda Nunez who's going to be a very heavy Favorite when she fights Felicia Spencer In the main event but just from a pure Watching standpoint she has been Really really damn Good in the last few years Yeah I mean She's the best like you said the goat I mean she's got two championships At the same time She's Killed everybody basically, and I don't really see this being much of a fight. You know, minus 600, not something that I'm looking at to make a bet. Yeah, this is more probably one we're going to be watching and just seeing a star in here. Uh, you mentioned she would be the first female to defend the title in two different divisions. There's only been two other UFC fighters ever to do that. This is going to be her first featherweight bite about since she beat Cyborg uh, almost a year and a half ago. Like 17 months ago And she's great on her feet, she's really tough She's just, she just kind of breathes a little different air It's not like Felicia Spencer's absolutely nothing But um, I, I can kind of agree with you I just can't see this going anyway Other than Nunez um, getting the win A couple things to mention Her wife is pregnant and she's normally a big part Of the training camp so maybe she's not Quite as fit, I just I, I don't see that um, Really really mattering a whole lot in that uh, in that main event where we're going to see Nunez out there, that's always a, a great drawing card for UFC fans. What about in the uh, the bantamweight fight where we get Rafael Asunsao versus Cody Garbrandt, who's the former bantamweight champion, but he's actually coming off of three consecutive losses. You have Cody, who's 28 years old. You have Rafael, who's 37 years old, who's been like a real strong veteran in the division for quite some time. He really only loses to some of the best, and Cody's kind of a an interesting fighter. He's one who's talked a lot, fought with a lot of emotion, but after losing three straight, he's been a little quieter. I think everything that I've read, they've said that he's got to try to be more calm, more patient, and not as much of a hothead in a fight like this. Um, how do you see this one? No, well, everything you said is true. You know, he changed gyms. You know, supposedly he's going to be more cautious because that's been the thing. You know, he's gotten hit hard, and instead of being cautious about it, it turns him into a tiger. He tries to attack, and every, three straight times he got KO'd. You know, he hasn't won in 42 months, and he's a $1.50, $1.60 favorite. You know, not my style kind of fight. A Sun Tzu, if he had knockout power, I could bet on him, but he has no knockout power. You know, three, he's like nearly 40% of his fights. He submitted the other guy. He's lost two straight. I just can't see, you know, make it a wager either way. Yeah, and and one thing just to talk about a little bit with Cody before we move on to the next fight. I think for for those folks out there who are, you know, spans of you know baseball, basketball, football, and not necessarily fighting, it's a completely different uh, scenario, Howard, when you're someone who who loses you know, three or four fights in a row versus losing. You know a few games in the row in the middle of a season Because this is something that Really you start having to deal with mentally When you get beat up And you are having to get scraped off the mat You know three times in a row It deals with 
Mentally are you strong enough or do you still Have it those are a lot of demons that you have To have in your head one more loss for Cody he might not be in a great place Oh no if he loses But to me like I said Dollar 60 you know, if I if I would put a gun to my head, I would take Garbrandt. But I'm not laying a dollar sixty yeah. on a guy who hasn't won a fight in three and a half years and has been knocked out three straight. There's a great point that you're making here too. It's like anything when you're handicapping, it's not just about picking the winner, right? It's about is is the winner worth betting on at the value that you're getting? And it just doesn't feel like there's anybody that's really offering us good enough value in this fight. Yeah, I mean, it's like the horses. You know, you have a horse who you think is the most likely winner, but it doesn't mean that's the horse you're going to bet if he's three to five and you think he has a 30% chance of winning, which is 2.33 to one. You know, it's it's value. You know, you have to find search value in any kind of gamble, no matter what it is. We move on to another bantamweight fight So the bantamweights are going to be getting um, Center stage There's going to be three bantamweight fights On the main card And from all of the research that I've been doing Howard and reading um, Everyone seems to think that this uh, Sterling versus Sanhagen fight Is going to be a real real barn burner Um, These are two bantamweights That are ranked in the top five And they're going to be continuing to move up that ladder Because I I think Cejudo just uh, um, Retired and everything that I'm seeing, it just feels like this is going to be a fight that could be really, really, really fun. You have Alja, who's you know coming off a four-fight win streak, but he did have surgery. He's on a roll. You have uh, Corey on the other side. He's 5'11 for a bantamweight. He is big with a long build. He's smart. He's kind of underrated. Um, I, I haven't seen either of these guys fight To be honest, it was just like doing a lot of my research I saw some videos and stuff, but I'm actually really Looking forward to this fight, because everything I read said that this should be a real fun one Yeah, it should be I mean, it, it's a, it looks like A great matchup on paper But the thing is, to me This is my best bet of the card Sterling Has never fought anybody over Five foot seven Other than Caraway, where he lost He's the tallest he'll ever fight in the UFC. He's got a, a he's got a a four inch height advantage over Sterling. And Sterling, if you well, you said you haven't watched, but if you watch his fights, he's more he's a kick, one kick, move away, one kick, move away. That's his game. Well, it's not going to work against Sanhagen. Sanhagen's going to be pushing the pace. It's hard to kick if you're moving backwards. It's hard to kick a taller person. It's just it's just the way it works. So whatever he likes to do is not going to work against Sanhagen in my eyes. It's just really hard to kick moving backwards. And Sanhagen is just, I think he's going to pressure him. The smaller ring works to his advantage. There's less places for Sterling to, to hide. Because this is in a 25-foot ring as opposed to a standard 30-foot ring in the UFC. I just think that this fight to falls easily to Sanhagen. He, he's one of those guys when you look at him too, he, he doesn't look like someone that you get terrified of. He's, he's kind of got like an unorthodox south, uh, southpaw style. But he just beat Asun Sao. 
And he is a tough, tough guy. I think that I kind of I agree with you. I would lean towards Corey in this spot. And what do you have from a price standpoint on this fight? It's 115 either way. I've seen Sterling 120, Sandig, and even, which to me is just offers amazing value. See, the thing is, is that Sandhagen's weakness is wrestling and the scrambling. Like, even against his son, Sal, he took his back, but he wasn't able to get him. But that's not really Sterling's game. I mean, he is a, he is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but it's just not his game. So it, if I possibly lose, I think that's how I'll lose. But honestly, this is one of my five or six best bets that I've seen in the UFC in like the three or four years that I've been gambling on. I love this fight. And that is Corey Sanhagen. We're going to have Corey on, on that side against uh, Sterling in, in the bantamweight fight. And this, from what I'm reading and stuff too, it looks like whoever wins this might be the number one contender uh, moving forward because this is a good fight between two really good fighters. Um, and uh, so so we've talked Nunez and Cody Garbrandt, uh, soon so, and Sterling Sanhagen. Those are the three top fights on the card. Um, any of the other fights below, whether they are on the main card or on the prelims, that jump out at you? Yeah, I like Magni against Anthony Rocco Martin. Okay. Magni's about a dollar forty. Uh oh, I'm losing you for a second. Pressure him. Here we go. Okay, cool. He, he has a six inch, five and a half, six and a half inch reach advantage. And it's going to make it hard, obviously, for Martin trying to get through that. And Martin doesn't have knockout power. That's one thing. I think he has one knockout, if I remember correctly. And he's got a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. The thing is, is that Magni has lost to like three, two of the best wrestler jiu-jitsu guys, Damian Maya and uh, Dos Anjos. And I don't think they, I, I know for a fact that Martin doesn't have what they have. So I just think it's going to be a hard fight for him to win. The only way I could, the, the way that I. Leg of, of Magni, because Magni's going to be moving forward, trying to push the pace. So if he can do a bunch of low kicks, what's his name? Panza, man, I can't think of his name now. Ponzi something. He fought him that way, kept kicking that front leg, kicking the front leg. And then finally, when Magni's not moving forward, he's, he's kind of easy to hit. So, I mean, I see the way that he could lose, but I really don't see it happening. And there's a bantamweight fight where we're going to see someone make it. It's probably not one of the ones that may, you may be interested in betting because it's going to be a heavy, heavy favorite in Sean O'Malley. Who's named Sugar Sean But this is uh, an interesting fighter He's only 25 years old He's coming off of a two year uh, suspension He came back and won in March But he's one of those really super confident Very brash He's out out talking He says, you know, I'm one one or two wins away From the title, but you better pay me more money If you want me to face the best So he's kind of uh, one that's just fun to watch Hello? 
Yes, Sean o- on Sean O'Malley. Can you hear me, Howard? Yeah, I got you now. Cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to fight at all. I mean, O'Malley's five plus minus five hundred. Winland plus three fifty. I mean, I just don't. I don't see a bet on that. I mean, I'm not betting a five hundred favorite, no matter what. Sure. And I don't see any way to bet on the dog on this fight. Anything else um in the prelims that that uh draws your attention? I like Formica a little against Perez. He's plus one oh five, plus one ten. I mean, this is going to be a fight that's probably going to be fought on the ground most of the fight. The thing is that they both have very good takedown defense. It's like 86% at 87%. But they're both, they both do their work on the ground. So I see that fight. It's going to somehow end up against the cage. It's not going to be an exciting fight. It's going to be one of them is going to be cage-effing the other one. And maybe they'll get it down on the ground. I just think that Formiga has better, you know, scramble wrestling. I mean, they're both great at it, but I just think that Formiga plus a dollar five. He's older. He's it's more. It's a bigger fight to him because he's he's number four. He's fighting against number nine, and he's kind of old. And basically, this is probably the last time around. Big opportunity for him to get right back into a you know a title fight if he gets a win here. So yeah, that's a that's a great point. A little bit of a added incentive there for for Miga. So yeah, I mean, uh, and any other fights that you want to mention? I like Caceres a little bit as a dog. The one you know big dog plus a dollar sixty. Then I think he has a chance to win. I mean, he doesn't have a great record. He's like fifteen and twelve. He's fighting Hooper. Who's only 20 He's 1-0 in the UFC He beat Teamer Who isn't much And minus 200 I think that this fight Could, could go the distance and, and maybe he could sneak away two rounds You know plus a dollar 60 I don't think it's, I don't think this is a bad bet But I would only bet him in a parlay I wouldn't bet him straight You know I love San Hagen I could do the two, you know, two pick, and then I could do the three, obviously, with the other fight that I like, and then I mean even a four pick throwing in Formiga. Nice. But I'm not going to bet him straight. But you know, a couple hundred on a, you know, on a four teamer, you know, three teamer, you win it. You're gonna, you're gonna win big money. So the big, the big one for us um, this weekend is going to be Sanhagen and um, in what looks to be a really, really awesome fight, and then a couple others to to keep an eye on. Like uh, Howard mentioned, make sure you look at, at where you're gambling. Make sure you look at the prices. That look at the value. The, the value that Howard mentioned, you don't want to be getting value that's a whole lot different from that if you're going to be on the same side as Howard. So that's always a an, a good point to mention. You don't want to give away a lot of value because it's just not. It doesn't make sense. Get, demand the best value that can you can get with uh, with each matchup with each fight that you like. And hey, what's cool about this one, Howard? We get some good fights to bet on. It looks like on paper there's going to be a, a couple really fun matchups. And then for some of the more novice UFC fans, it's always great when you can see one of the biggest stars in the history of the sport in the ring. And that's what we'll get to see with Amanda Nunez. So looks like a pretty fun Saturday night coming up uh, for UFC 250. That's going to be great. I can't wait. So like I like I like Sanhagen and Magni straight parlay with Formiga. 
I'm going to parlay with Formiga and Caceres. Howard, that is great stuff, man. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, this will be the first of uh, many times we have you on here to talk some UFC or maybe even any other any other sports. If there are folks out there who would like to to follow you on social media or find you, maybe I know you post a lot of your plays on, on UFC on your Facebook page. Where can we uh, where can we stay in touch with you or or follow along? Yeah, on Facebook, Howard. The last name is Chin Chuck, like the two words Chin and Chuck. C H I N. C-H-U-C-K Howard, I really appreciate it I've uh, enjoyed our back and forth We've had some fun going at each other I'm a Laker fan, you're a Sixers fan So we've talked trash uh, plenty Whenever the Lakers or the Sixers would lose And it, it seems like We are getting close To getting the NBA back I think they're pointing towards the end of July and um, hopefully we'll get an opportunity to see our two teams make deep playoff runs. I know the Sixers have been a little bit disappointing. The Lakers probably overachieved a little bit um, in the first 65 games or so, but now we'll get an opportunity to see how good they really are come playoff time. Yeah, I think the Lakers had the magic of Milo. <laughs> they don't lose when Milo watches the You're game. Right. About 20 and one. They were unbelievable. Uh, I think they had a, a 10 or 11 game win streak to start his life. We were watching the, the first game uh, ever when he was born that night. We were watching him play the Sun. So it, it was a, a really cool first year of my son's life when it came to the Lakers because they have not lost a whole heck of a lot. And um, and it'll be. I, I know someone like you who plays um, just plays a, a lot of different sports and football and stuff. It's just going to be so much fun to have uh, these sports back. I think a lot of us we we maybe took things for granted when we didn't have these out here, and we forget how big of a, a part of our lives watching sports every day is. Yeah, and I'm a Raider fan for 50 years, and now the Raiders have moved to where I live in Las Vegas. So. No one's happier than me. Right. And hopefully the NHL will come back. I'm a Bruin fan. They were the best team, you know, through the regular season. And I really want them to win a cup so that Dano Chara can retire on top and then give the C on the jersey to Patrice Bergeron, who's next man up. Well, then, then that'll be one of our next uh, our next talks too. Maybe when uh, when hockey, because I'm not as big. I, I know hockey a little, and I'll watch, but I'm definitely not someone where I would feel confident by myself breaking a bunch of hockey down. So maybe you'll come on with us. We can talk a little hockey. We can talk a little Bruins when they get back going, and maybe we can see what some of the playoff matchups will look like. And man, I I feel like we could have uh, many conversations just going through history, and uh, hopefully this will be the first of many. Howard, I really enjoyed talking with you. I'm sure the the listeners out there who are UFC fans really appreciate it, and I look forward to talking with you again, man. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Gino. Have a good day. That was Howard Chinchuk. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're just going to take one quick break, and we'll be right back here on That's What G Said. Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle. In the words of uh, of Jack Tunney, the old WWF president, thank you, Howard. And we move on now to Andrew Champagne, to Darren Zocali. It's Survivor Series 1992. We go back in time. And man, things have changed a lot from just SummerSlam 92 to Survivor uh, Series 92. We've got Brett the Hitman Hart, who's your new WWF champ. We've got Shawn Michaels, who's your new Intercontinental champ. We uh, have, you know, 
No Ultimate Warrior. He's gone. We have no British Bulldog. He's gone. Mr. Perfect is back. He's wrestling, and he's a good guy now. So much to discuss at the end of 1992 in the world of WWF. We go through every match, all the commentary, all the lead-up to the event, and what happened Everything around the event in 1992 heading into 1993 WWF. It's the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. Our old wrestling rewatches are going to take us to the Survivor Series for the first time. We're going to go back and watch Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. And as Darren said last week, no, no, it's not that Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. This is 1992 Survivor Series. This is when Bret Hart is the newly crowned WWF champion and Shawn Michaels just won the Intercontinental Championship. There is a lot going on in the WWF at this moment. Lots of pieces changing between SummerSlam and Survivor Series. So many things are different We're going to talk about all of that We're going to break down the matches We're going to discuss the commentary We're going to have some fun like we do each and every week And it's Darren Zocali It's Andrew's uh, Champagne joining me here And this was Darren Zocali's selection Survivor Series 1992 So uh, big picture thoughts first DZ, this was your pick This was a, a, ma- a show that I think Was similar to a lot of the, the WWF shows of the early era In that there were One or two really good matches on the show And then a lot of other Matches that were more like Storyline building than they were Really supposed to be good matches But I think all in all This is definitely an above average show It is it, it was a fun show From when I remember it it's got some Terrible spots it's got some really cool spots Uh you know, we'll, we'll get obviously to the Brett Sean match at the end, which is an absolute classic, and we'll we'll talk about that. And I think just from that match alone, you know, the, it's worth going back and watching this pay per view. But you got some fun stuff with the whole storyline between Nails and the Boss Man. You got the Undertaker Kamala stuff with the with the casket, which you know, while scary, also had a lot of funny parts to it with Kamala that I think makes for an interesting watch. But I really like this show because you touched on the Gino. It's the transitional period here of WWE where we're really seeing a huge difference between just four or five, six months ago and where this company is going to be in just a couple of months. It's kind of in the middle of a shift from the old guard to the new guard, and you kind of watch it happen through SummerSlam, through this show, and into the Royal Rumble. You're starting to see some of the future guys pop up. Yokozuna has his first pay-per-view match here. Obviously, he's going to be a major heel coming up. So I like it from that standpoint. It, it, this is kind of like a bridge the gap show where you go from point A to point B. And I think it's a very interesting time in the WWE. Darren, I think you nailed it. Uh, you hit a lot of the points that, that I was going to touch on because there's a lot going on here for sure. You've got the Brett Sean match. That's obviously very good. You've got the tag match, which was supposed to be Randy Savage teaming with the Ultimate Warrior, but then Warrior gets popped, leaves the company, and you wind up with Mr. Perfect making his in-ring return. There's a couple of other cool little matches and cool little bits on this show. It's a fun watch. It's not an overly long show. It's two and a half hours. If you're looking for a really cool way to burn a couple of hours and not feel bored, this is a good show. Yeah, and and you hit um, something... That it, I wanted to touch on too If you look this show up You might find a Survivor Series poster That shows 
the Ultimate yep. Maniacs versus Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. I mean, if you look at this stuff on the WWE Network, that's what you find. You see that. Um, so it was supposed to be the Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior versus Razor Ramon and Ric Flair. Remember, at SummerSlam 92, there was that whole storyline with Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect. Whose corner is Mr. Perfect going to be in in the title match between Macho Man and uh, an Ultimate Warrior? And then not long after that, I think Razor Ramon had actually just debuted a few days later following that SummerSlam. Macho Man defends the title against Ric Flair, and Razor Ramon actually helps Ric Flair win the title. So at SummerSlam, the Macho Man's the champion. Between SummerSlam and Survivor Series, we go from the Macho Man to Ric Flair to Bret Hart, which in this day and age is like unheard of. You don't see the title switching that often in just a few months. So this was something completely different that we weren't used to. And then at the end of uh, SummerSlam 1992, the man who's standing tall, who wins the Intercontinental Championship, who we all assume is going to be you know, like a main event fixture for years to come now, the British Bulldog, he's gone. Both him and the Ultimate Warrior are gone come this pay-per-view. So, I mean, it's crazy. Um, there was steroid, I think HGH, um, failed test. Uh, Warrior was kind of upset here and there. Warrior kind of a lot, had a lot of issues, in, um, you know, um, out of the ring. Um, through through his years and that was kind of why He would come back and forth and back and forth Into the WWF but That's why as both uh, of you mentioned This was a fun show just to kind of dissect Because you see a lot of these these um, Wrestlers in these matches And it's like oh these they're either just coming In or just coming out or there's just a ton Of transition happening so We'll break it all down we'll talk more about it As we get into Survivor Series 1992 November 25th 92 This was from the Richfield Coliseum They had 18,000 on the uh, attendance And um, this was a much different Survivors series show Just in general Because leading up to this Darren In the five previous Survivor series We only had one match That was not a traditional Survivor series elimination match That was in 91 with Hogan versus The Undertaker And this show There's only one of those kind of matches and it's not even really a traditional one Because it's like when you eliminate the tag teams They're out so this was Survivor Series But it was more of The gimmick matches and they were kind of pushing That Survivor uh, Series in a few different ways Yeah It's a much different show You're 100% right uh, And then later on While they never really got back to The original Survivor Series format Where it kind of took over uh, The very next year 1993 it goes back to mostly Survivor Series matches. Uh, yep. Four separate four-on-four Survivor Series elimination matches. So this pay-per-view kind of stands out as as different. Um, I'm, I'm also, I don't rem- remember, is this the first time that it's not on actual Thanksgiving night? It's the night before? I think so. Yeah. I think Are so these- because, yeah, leading yeah. up to it, they were all generally on Thanksgiving night. This is the the so and this is the different too. It's like so many different things about this. This is on a Wednesday night, and um, we have Vince and Bobby the Brain Heenan at the commentary table. They run down the card, and Bobby says this is not going to be a perfect Survivor Series, as uh, Darren had mentioned. Uh, Mister Perfect had recently turned and took the spot of what was supposed to be 
the ultimate warrior And then right off the bat the crowd is chanting Weasel like crazy And then we get the Owen Hart music This is the Owen Hart music that we would come to know for a while This was Owen singles music here And it's high energy versus the head shrinkers Bobby wonders what Offa is eating When he's kind of got that like big turkey <laughs> slash chicken thing out there uh, by, the, uh, by the ring that he's eating And uh, you know what I, I thought right away That head shrinkers music it's pretty scary, you know, when you look back on it Like you're a kid and you hear that music coming out It's a little, it's like rats or bats or spiders All in the uh, in the intro This is a pretty basic tag match Heels work on Coco For most of it, Owen does some good work When he's in there, it's really nothing Special, you get Rikishi <laughs> Rikishi with the high cross body Off the top rope, this match is 740 Head Shrinkers get the win here This is more about building up a new team like the Head Shrinkers They didn't I don't think the point of this was to let high energy kind of get unleashed and, and it wasn't supposed to be like selling or showing Owen in, in necessarily in this match. So this is just kind of like a basic start. Yeah, and, it, and it's a fine match, uh, you know, to begin. It's nothing special, but it's not bad. The wrestling in it mm-hmm. is fine. The thing with the head shrinkers, of course, was like if you, they hit their heads, they didn't get hurt. So, of course, <laughs> yeah. where, you know, he hits, tries to go for that double noggin knocker and. They, you know, hit heads, and all of a sudden they just turn and look at the guy. I always thought that was kind of a cool thing that they yeah. did. Um, you know, the brain does something funny here. He talks about, uh, you know, Coco, like, not having a brain. And he says something like, uh, oh, he's halfway there. He's got the haircut for it already. <laughs> Ripping on Coco from the beginning. Uh, he, asked, he, he asked McMahon at some point during the match if the head shrinkers are going to be joining him for dinner the following night. Yeah, that's yeah. great. It's coming out with good stuff right in the beginning. Yeah. And I actually thought the brain scan and this was one of there's two good brain scans here. I think the first one is good, and then the one with Yoko is good with the cranberry sauce with, with the with the bonsai. Because at but least whole, it has a little bit of purpose. He's tying it into yeah. the Thanksgiving and stuff. So yeah. it sort of like has like a, a store. Yeah. 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 So Andrew, I know you said that like the brain scan didn't work, but I think this was probably one of the better brain scans. This was as good as it got, and it wasn't bad. But when you've got a guy like Bobby Heenan who excels at what he does already, it just seemed unnecessary. It was fine this time around. It's just if fine is as good as it's going to get, it's probably not worth putting in. Now, you mentioned Heenan had a couple of good lines here. One of my favorite ones is he talks about the head shrinkers working together, and he says, that's perf. That's great teamwork. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> he can't bring himself to say the word perfect. You mentioned the Samoan thing about how you can't hit a Samoan in the head. That <laughs> goes back to Aoife, uh, the wild Samoan and his tag team back in the 70s. They did the same thing. So it made sense that they sort of passed that down. This was fine for what it was. It was a decent opener. I'm going to ask the question that I always ask when Owen at this time shows up. What the hell is he wearing? And who <laughs> thought this was okay? If we could get a fashion police segment on this, you know, give me Tyler Breeze and Fandango. That'd with be funny. That, I would love that. I would They're pajamas. love that. So if any writers are out there for WWE and you're listening to this and you need something, do that. <laughs> uh, next up, we get a nails promo. And um, the nails, oh, whole, the whole nails character was, was funny. And he... I was reading a um, like a recap of this, uh, and and somebody had said that he honestly sounds like he's got a a bat like a bunch of marbles in his mouth like when he speaks. He can barely speak. It's like it's like getting words out hurts him. 
it's really hard to focus on what what he's saying because of of the weird voice and and cadence. Um, the gist of it, he says he's going to beat Boss Man within an inch of his life. He That's served, yeah, two thousand four hundred and seventy eight <laughs> days, and and you know what, Darren? I mean, this is a pretty long promo for Nails here too. Yeah, he just keeps going through that whole. Bushman, like, like <laughs> over and over and over, and I mean, you know, when you're a kid, he's scary. But yeah, look, I mean, when it comes to in the ring, dude's awful. So I mean, bad. so bad. bad. I mean, like this match is like six minutes long, whatever the <laughs> heck. It was. And I have so many notes on just yeah. like the awfulness that. It <laughs> um, I mean, there's one point in the match where. Like, Bossman goes off the ropes and comes towards him, and he literally lifts his leg like a dog going to pee yeah. to let Bossman just run <laughs> Like, what I what that was supposed to be, I don't know. It is pretty I funny. Get, I don't get the outfit because he's sporting the convict outfit, yet he's preaching that he's an innocent man. He's not in jail anymore. Yeah, yeah so you're not in jail anymore, and you said you're innocent the whole time, but you're wearing a convict outfit. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, the other problem with this match is the whole purpose of this match was... <laughs> I'm glad you said this. Right? That's the whole selling point of this match. Even, for, even at the beginning of the, the match, Heenan actually says to McMahon, you're not going to see much wrestling here, and... I mean, their words could not be more truthful. And the whole point's the nightstick, and it barely gets used. It has nothing like, to do with the finish whatsoever. Yeah, hits him three times. Nails hits him twice. Bossman retaliates. Nails drops the nightstick. Bossman hits his finisher, and the match is over. Like, but what happened to the nightstick? I mean, it's just, it's so, such a, I mean, it's a bad match. Nails can't do anything at all in the ring. And, I mean, the funniest part of this match for me was when um, Heenan says why, why he got arrested. And he got a, he got a oh, parking good. ticket for when he went to get his mom flowers. <laughs> and it blew away. And he blew away the ticket. Like, what are you talking about? He got that but, info from Nails' sister. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this back, it is so hysterically bad that I actually enjoyed how bad it was, Andrew. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I really hate that I have to take this turn because, you know, of everything that's going on in the world. But let's try to explain this in 2020 terms. Please do. Yeah. 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 I love when you hear this. I love when you hear this. Oh, Jesus. So, with nails, we have a convict who has decided he has been treated unjustly by the criminal justice system. He is alleging police brutality. He is alleging unlawful imprisonment. (laughs) The boss man, meanwhile, shows up and on his shirt displayed very prominently a Confederate flag. God, (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, in 2020, is this supposed to be an easy watch? No. Nails is a face? Are you telling me Nails is the face in 2020? He's the good guy? I'm telling you this sucked. 
That's what I'm telling <laughs> you. Bad. Now, going back to the wrestling world for a minute. Boss Man is what a lot of people in the business would call a mirror. If you put him with a good worker, you will get a good match. Mm-hmm. If you put him with a mediocre worker, you'll get a mediocre match. If you put him with a bad worker, you'll get a bad match. And if you put him with nails, you will get a crime against humanity. (laughs) Darren, you hit the nail on the head with my big issue with this match. I could forgive the match being bad if it told the story well. The story is the nightstick, and it doesn't get used in the finish. I will never understand why. Me neither. And I'll never understand why the crowd was red hot for this match. Because Bossman comes out, and the crowd is roaring. It's one of the biggest pops of the night. They're hot throughout this match, and I will never, for the life of me, understand why. Uh, Darren, I'm glad you enjoyed this. This this baffled me. It confused me. It made me feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> the, the less said about it, the better, man. So... Bossman runs to the ring and Nails is already climbing to try to get the nightstick. Both guys keep trying to get the nightstick because once you get it, then you can use it, but it's still an actual match that's got to have a pinfall. That's the one thing about this show, too, that with the coffin match that we would see, they were still figuring out some of these gimmick matches that they didn't quite realize, like, or, you know, know how the best way to do them yet was where. You probably didn't even really need a pinfall Like this was one of those things where um, You know this match and then the coffin match Like you don't need a pinfall necessarily in that match It's all about putting him in the coffin Like they're still figuring things out here They're still pretty relatively new in the pay-per-view era here And um I mean This is this is bad though Both you you guys hit the nail on the head It's sloppy with with headlocks Bobby says at one point Which is really funny Jerk it off, rip it off, feed it to him. When Nails has Bob, the boss man in a headlock, uh, just a great soundbite to grab there. Um, Bobby says yeah, it was I all. Wanna, I want to make it clear: if somebody like listens to this and then goes back and goes, "Let me watch this match. I got to see what what they're talking about." My my, la- I'm literally laughing because it's hysterically bad. Bad. Yeah, it's, it's a it's, it's a bad watch. It's like a bad movie that you watch and yeah. and back and and you you just laugh at throughout at like the premise of most of it and. Uh, Darren, you talked about the parking tickets, uh, which was which is just a great story from Bobby. And then, um, I mean, Bossman pulls nails down. He can't sell or fall. He falls on the ropes. It's ugly. Bossman, at one point, I, I made a note. He does an Undertaker sit up, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Like out of nowhere, he does the old like he's out of it, and then he does the quick little sit up. Um, there's a weird looking double clothesline that is just disgusting. I don't even know what it is. My next note is nails is so bad. Um, Bossman gets the nightstick. He hits nails a few times. Then he drops it. Nails gets it. He hits Bossman with it a few times. And then Bossman ducks. He hits his finisher and nothing to do with the nightstick in the finish. Bossman wins. We are done and moving on from that match. But Bossman was just, as Andrew pointed out, very hot with the crowd. And they liked putting Moss Man in some of these fun gimmicky matches built around the, uh, you know, his I'm a cop, you know, gimmick, which we saw with the Mountie and we saw here. This one didn't hit nearly as well as that Mountie one, which we all really, really enjoyed. We now have uh, Mean Gene, who's backstage with Razor Ramon and Ric Flair. They're showing the footage of Primetime Wrestling where they had the round table. These were fun on Primetime Wrestling. 
And Mr. Perfect accepted Macho Man's request to be his partner Just out of nowhere, really Like, there was no tease for this leading up Warrior left, they were kind of left flat-footed WWF didn't know what to do And they decided, you know what? Perfect is someone that is going to get a good reaction If he ends up turning against Bobby the Brain and Ric Flair Bobby snaps, he screams at Perfect And he smacks him when they're showing the build-up And then Perfect grabs Bobby by the tie This is some of Bobby's best, best work Um, Flair said he's, or uh, Perfect said he's sick of being put behind Ric Flair And then Bobby starts whining and cowering He says, look at what they've done to us, look how they tore us apart I didn't mean to hit you, God knows I'd never do that I'll get down on my knees, I'll get down on one knee and tell you something Please, we'll never do it again, I'll never do anything wrong I promise, I'll buy you a car, I'll I'll buy you a boat I'll give you double the money you could have made I'll get on both knees, Perfect, please don't leave us I mean, just awesome Stuff from Bobby uh, And uh, Perfect pours water all over Bobby And this was the setup Darren in This I mean people forget I think about this storyline In this time this was a big Storyline this was hot The people were were really hot for this match They were really into this whole Storyline happening I I remember watching this primetime wrestling You know over and over and over again This was a, a This was a really well done angle by the WWF yeah, and they didn't have a whole lot of time to come up with it. And no. uh, you got to you got to give them credit and appreciate that aspect of it. Uh, that that you know, perfect and Heenan spot from primetime wrestling was phenomenal. Uh, it, it's been played millions of times and is a great watch. It's it's a lot of fun. The promo from Flair and Razor, I love. Uh, I love you know Flair is just getting crazy. You know, talks about how perfect basked in his glory and. You know, sat, walked in his shadows and reaped all the rewards of it. I mean, it really tells the story well. And I love, I love Razor's promo because I love when he calls perfect, perfecto. I love, I, I don't know what it was about that, but I just love that type of promo when he had that whole like Scarface gimmick going. It just he, came off really well. He calls Mean Gene, Gene Mean, which I love yeah. too. It just like the the the, the different yeah. things there. So, uh, it, it, yeah, it's a great. It's a great promo, and it really gets you hyped up for the match. And by the way, Andrew, of course, this leads us to the whole Flair Perfect storyline, which ends up going into that, you know, loser leaves the company match after the Royal Rumble. Yeah, and that's a really cool, fascinating little story because Flair was told when he signed his contract, look, if you're ever unhappy here, we'll work something out. Well, it wound up being a case where Flair wound up doing a job for Razor Ramon, Flair saw the writing on the wall that they were going with younger guys, wound up leaving and going back to WCW. This promo, though, though, it it was really good for a lot of different reasons, including some that were really subtle. I love that Flair and Razor wore the matching purple. Oh, I I had that great note. They look good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Every color in the color wheel with all the robes and stuff. And they wound up actually coordinating this and it wound up looking really cool. Yeah. And you get Razor, who is still kind of sort of learning how to be Razor. He's only been with the WWF for six months in the role. But the best stuff that he did in this promo to me was when he wasn't speaking and he was pantomiming getting stabbed in the back. (laughs) I thought that was really cool. And I thought it added something when Flair was going nuts on the mic. This was a really good heel promo. 
Flair and Scott Hall could both obviously talk, and you had Gene sitting there lobbing them softballs that they could have out of the park. It's really cool stuff. Yeah, Flair almost, um, he starts the promo kind of quiet, almost like Jake. You know, like he's talking real quiet, and then he picks up and he's crazy talking about Perfect being his shadow, and he he goes on, and this is good. I really love this, and and those two were uh, were a good pairing. We'll get to their match in just a minute. There was one more match in between uh, the promo and all the setup before we saw the uh, the Perfect and Macho um, uh, matchup against a. Uh, Flair and Razor So we get Rick the Model Martel versus Tatanka This is a Wrestlemania 8 rematch Just goes to show you in this day and age How long feuds will last I mean Rick the Model Martel stole Tatanka's uh, feathers And this this thing went on for basically A year give or take Um, Bobby says this is the most dangerous Time of the year for Native Americans Would you want to walk around with all those feathers around Thanksgiving (laughs) which was a good one Really good one and uh, we get a quick start for Tatanka Kind of an awkward clothesline He knocks Martell out of the ring it, This was funny about Vince Which I'm going to mention a few of the mistakes That he made throughout the night Vince This is your damn company You book the damn company Please don't call Rick Martell a former IC champ He is <laughs> not Like you're <laughs> thinking of Tito I know you're th- you, you're like you're confusing him with his partner here. Like you, this is your damn company. Know who has won what and who has done what. He makes a few mistakes throughout the night. This is one uh, one of them that's pretty funny. And uh, Rick Martel actually hits a nice stun gun. We see a few of those throughout the night. Tatanka neck first across the ropes. Sergeant Slaughter is the new power figure So Bobby's gonna talk some trash on him Is that a rule breaker like Slaughter now In charge of the rules that'd be like putting Mr. Perfect In charge of integrity uh, We get another 92 integrity um, Little little cut promo Which is like Pipers And, uh, and then Doink shows up But there's there's no name for Doink They just call him the clown He's really yeah. new at this point He's making uh, balloon animals for kids He's just being referred to as the clown Martel bumps all around the thing again that we've talked about with a lot of these Tatanga matches, we get a lot of rest holds. You know, we get a lot of those, and and then Tatanka's finishing match, a uh, finishing move, it's called the Papoose to Go. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Uh, the crowd is really hot for Tatanka. This thing goes over 11 minutes. I mean, you get a nice arm drag from Tatanka. The brain, you know, he's doing the Tatanka. And the, hey, how are ya? Hey, how are ya? Um, <laughs> but this is just okay. At best, it's nothing special. I don't think it's necessarily miserable. I would have just preferred if if it would have gone maybe three or four minutes shorter. Yeah, it didn't have to go eleven minutes. It, it, it's it's okay. I mean, it's not it's not bad by any stretch. There's a couple of cool spots. Uh, Tatanka takes like a he he gets I don't know. It's almost like a clothesline off the top rope at one point that looks pretty vicious early on in the match where Martel grabs him and just kind of falls back towards the ropes and Tatanka looks like he you know just lands his throat right on top of there and comes flying off. That's actually a pretty cool spot. Uh, yeah, you're right about Tatanka's finisher, which, I mean, is basically a Samoan drop. It is, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the match, is, the match is all right. I mean, you know, Tatanka goes over, as you would expect. Uh, Bobby keeps talking about the fact that that's actually a pigeon feather, that Martel soul. Uh, <laughs> you know, one, of, one of Bobby's lines, you know, have you ever seen a pigeon, McMahon? I'm telling you, that's a pigeon feather. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, you don't know where the whole doink thing is going. He's kind of in the middle of his random appearances as just this weird clown who's making these, you know, balloon animals, and you don't really know where that's heading. Obviously, it's going to go somewhere. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's a match on a pay-per-view that's fine. It's there. It's not bad. It's not great. Um, and it, I didn't necessarily have to fast-forward through it, which I guess is a positive. You guys are right. This wasn't offensive in any way. It was just three or four minutes longer than it should have been. If this was a tight eight-minute match, it would have been fine. Yep. As it stands now, it's it's okay. There's a couple of nice spots. Bobby Heenan gets in a couple of good lines. He gets in a dig on the Cleveland Indians, too, saying, <laughs> they don't win anything. Why should he? <laughs> now, one quick clarification here. The actual name of the finishing move is called the end of the trail. Heenan was the one that came up with Papoose to go. <laughs> okay, it's okay. funny, but... You just never hear it used as end of the trail. It's Papoose to go because that was a funny line by Bobby Heenan. Now, the doink stuff. I have many questions, not the least of which is why. I mean, this is one of WWE's big four pay-per-views. If you want this guy to make some sort of an impact, have him attack somebody. Have him do something that genuinely antagonizes the fans. Mm-hmm. Don't have him make balloon animals and pop them and laugh hysterically. It just does nothing. And it's not a good use for a guy who would prove to be a pretty useful hand in the mid card, at least for a couple of years. I didn't get that all in all this match. It wasn't great, but it did the job. We then get a uh, perfect and macho man there backstage with Sean Mooney. And Mr. Perfect talks some trash to Ric Flair. Then he focuses on Razor. Says he's he's oozing, oozing something, and it's not machismo. Um, <laughs> Perfect said that uh, Brain put him on the back burner so that way he wouldn't beat Ric Flair. And then Macho comes in. He says, "I know about survival," and he tells Perfect he doesn't like him or trust him. But with uh, with their abilities, they could be the perfect tag team. Perfect agrees, and uh, Perfect gives a woo. And then Bobby is pissed he says, How dare he give a woo When he doesn't even deserve to be in the same sport With Ric Flair And Bobby is great through this match And then really his like intensity And kind of his attitude Because he's so emotionally invested in this match And then what happens after this match I guess for the rest of the show it, it's, it's, it's really good He kind of picks it up a little bit more And he kind of starts doing stuff Where he's like second guessing himself And he's just he, He's really really good So He's pumped as Flair and Razor enter, and he badmouths perfect any chance he can get. Uh, Macho comes out first, and then Macho grabs the mic. He introduces Mr. Perfect, and Bobby starts screaming. There he is, that no-good backstabbing ingrate. We get a big pop for Mr. Perfect. Bobby's screaming, Perfect, you chew that gum with that arrogant smug look because you may never see Thanksgiving tomorrow, you dirty, no-good, rotten, low-life, poor excuse for a human being. And then he says, just a little throwaway line, Razor, cut him up, which is great. <laughs> um, and he's just, like, losing his voice, screaming. This is almost like that Rumble 92. I mean, he's all over this anytime, you know, Flair's in a match. And Perfect, this is his first match since SummerSlam 91, which we talked about not long ago with uh, where he had that unbelievable match with Brett the Hitman. And Perfect starts the match with Razor. He gets the advantage. And he kind of smacks Razor around And the heels are upset And Bobby is just great Flair tags in and Perfect unloads on Flair And then Flair goes into the turnbuckle He does the old up and over And he kind of 
Walks right into Savage who meets him on the apron And knocks him down And then Macho tags in Darren And at this point Macho is in the match For 11 Maybe 12 minutes Of just kind of selling Getting beat up He has some offense for a little while Before the heels take over But this is like an old school Tag team match where You get the baby faces They come out hot early And then you get the heels who really Really work over the baby face Yeah Savage I mean Savage is telling the story here Obviously that they're pushing perfect in this spot You know They kind of have to set it up that way To get to the point where you know, perfect at one point jumps off and looks like he's walking back, like he's giving up. You see him throw his hands out at Savage a couple of times as he's getting beat up. So so they kind of tell that story pretty well there. You think for a minute that Perfect is going to abandon him and, and walk out, and obviously yep. eventually comes back. I mean, that's all great, you know, for the story. I love the beginning of the match where Perfect hits that drop toe hold on Razor, and he, like, does that, like, spin around on his back and then smacks him in the back of the head a few times. I mean, that's just great stuff that Perfect does. Heenan's great because he's just completely besides himself throughout the match. And every time Perfect does anything, he's just going absolutely ballistic. Um, you know, you get the hot take with Perfect after Savage, you know, spends most of the match getting getting beat up, as we talked about. Um, you know, then you get the ref gets gets hit with a bump. Uh, Joey Morello comes down. Perfect hits the perfect flex on, on Razor, but there's nobody to count. Flair breaks it up. Then he hits the perfect flex on Flair, but there's nobody to count. Then all hell breaks loose. Now, this is where I have a problem. Why does this, number one, I don't get the DQ. Me neither. I, because he's basically just disqualifying them for, I don't know, having two guys in the ring at once, which happens all the time. Uh, it feels just completely uneven and unfinished at the end. I guess it builds towards more of this kind of storyline, but the story's ending in three months, actually less, in two months, when Flair leaves the company anyway and Razor goes into feud with Bret Hart. So this story, while we do have the continuation of Flair and Perfect kind of in a one-off, this whole foursome storyline... Never finishes. Never finishes. So I don't get the match finish with what comes knowing what was going to happen after that. So that bothered me. Um, I do like the promo at the end uh, when they get Flair and Razor in the back, especially Razor. He kind of uses that Scarface line about the double cross where he says, ask the last guy who double crossed Razor Ramon if you can find him. You know, it's a, it's a good line. Yeah, it is. Uh, but again, it, they're, they're talking about this is not over. And you know, no, knowing afterwards that it doesn't continue, it kind of leaves yeah. like it, it makes this match go down a lot in, in, in my book. Like this was a good back and forth match, Andrew. The crowd was really hot for it, but just the way that it ends up finishing and what we know afterwards, you just don't love it. I mean, Thank it's you. it's good. Yeah. You don't like it as much as you should. No, and it's a case where again, WWF is trying to protect everybody yes. involved. In a situation that does not call for it None of these guys would have been hurt by a loss It still would have been Ric Flair It still would have been Razor Ramon It still would have been Randy Savage It still would have been Mr. Perfect Make a clean finish I mean, for goodness sakes, have 
perfect, get an inside cradle on Razor for the one, two, three. And then everything after it makes so much more sense because you get Flair and Razor and they're angry. But the thing that bothers me comes later in the show, and we'll talk about this a little bit, is Savage and Perfect are backstage and they're celebrating this like they just won the tag titles clean as a sheet. And they didn't. It was a good match, lousy booking. It was good to see Perfect back. I think one of the reasons Savage had the extended heat segment is they weren't quite sure what Mr. Perfect could do off of that long layoff, but it was clear he still had a lot of mileage left on him. Good match, shady finish, lousy booking, and the angle didn't really go anywhere because two months later, Flair was gone. Yeah, Vince at one point says, uh, the only perfect athlete in the WWF, and Brain says, what do you mean? And Vince says, I'm, I'm only quoting you, Brain. You've said it many times. And Brain says, uh, well, I used to think so, but that was before Perfect turned on me and Razor, and uh, now he has no integrity, so he can't be perfect. Just th- That was good. That was a good line from Vince. We uh, we got a, like a little flurry from Macho during that big spot where he was getting worked on for a while. Kind of Flair tosses him over the top rope, and... And then uh, Darren mentioned that you know Perfect goes down the aisle. He teases leaving. He comes back, and then Bobby starts loving it. He goes, "He's lost without us. He has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't know what to do. He's loving this. He's not perfect. He's a ham and egger." He calls him, which was Bobby's line for like a jobber, which is a, a great one. And um, and, and Macho just gets worked on forever. And Bobby says it's not sweat oozing out of Razor. It's machismo. And uh, Flair does his strut. They dominated Macho. And um, Flair comes on the top rope. And Macho toss uh, catches him like uh, while he's getting ready to come off. And he tosses Flair. You get the hot tag for, for Perfect. Perfect goes crazy on Razor. And he does all of... It's kind of like Perfect's uh, signature moves. You get the snap neck breaker, the high knee. Um, Flair... Nails Savage with a chair outside the ring Perfect nails Flair And then you get a ref bump And it's just Perfect and Razor in the ring Perfect gets uh, out of the Razor's edge He hits the Perfect Plex With no referee in the ring Then he hits the Perfect Plex on Flair So we get to see it a couple times For the first uh, time in I guess about a year and a half or so Ton of commotion Ref calls for the bell Chaos after everyone's scrapping And then Fink makes the announcement And Brain is furious Like you said he's as mad as like The heels uh, for the heels as the Baby faces are happy like they all just Won some titles or something when it's just a A DQ win here And solid match crappy Ending takes away this could have been Like a four star match or so And you have the ending that just really Like downgrades it um, a little bit you just you know You feel like it could have been a lot more With these guys in the ring and one thing that's Weird about this too you have Razor Who comes into the company and he's Immediately in this main event picture Here with You know three other like Legends and then he goes into the title Feud with Bret Hart and then We see he becomes an intercontinental Guy for basically the rest of his Next you know three years or so And I'm not saying that he's ever like a jobber Or anything but it's really weird. You would have imagined, like, at the, Darren, does he even ever get after the Bret Hart feud? Like, another, like, legitimate feud for the WWF title? I don't I don't recall one. No? Um, did he? Try to remember if he ever faced Diesel when Diesel. Maybe, like, an IC title versus, yeah. like, the title, WWF title, maybe. Yeah. But it wasn't, but like, a long, well-built anything if it was. 
No, I mean, and Razor. I mean, look, Razor was a was a great Intercontinental Champion. He fit really well in that program. You know, the, the kind of the funny thing about it was at that time, you you Razor's a big guy. Uh, he's you know, a he's, big guy who can move. Like, he is. That. Drink of but the he's, wine. He's a big guy, and up to that point, you know, I mean, granted, the Warrior did have the IC title, but but Razor wasn't your prototypical. IC title type of guy. You know, you used to think of IC title guys as, you know, kind of like smaller mid-card, you know, high-flying guys. And it was really a title that propelled some guys. Obviously, Shawn Michaels really got propelled. Bret Hart got propelled by it. But you're right. The Intercontinental work was pretty much the best work that Razor did. And it went on for years. And it was great. I mean, obviously, the latter matches with Shawn and, you know, all the stuff, the stuff that he did with Jeff Jarrett was even good. But, uh, yeah, he never really catapulted above that level. Uh, and then, of course, he goes to NWO and flips the entire wrestling industry on its ear. So, uh, you know, it, it's weird because he was underutilized dramatically by WCW when he was first there, uh, you know, even as the Diamond Stud. He was used well, but maybe slightly underutilized in WWE. And then he goes back to WCW, NWO forms, and he's one of the biggest stars in wrestling. Yeah, and that goes to why he left in 96. He told the story on a couple of DVDs. Mm-hmm. It's available. And he goes. He said he went up to Vince and goes, uh, Vince, is there a way I can improve my, my annual salary? Vince goes, no. Is there a way I can improve my standing in the company as far as you know, my placement on the card, potential runs with the title? And Vince goes, uh, no. And at that point, he realized, eh, there's nothing that I really have left to do here. May as well go to WCW offering me stupid money. And that's what he did. And for a time, he became one of the biggest stars in the sport. The stupid money for like 30% of the days he would have had to work in exactly. WWE. And also <laughs> in creative clause, control. And a clause, and a clause yeah. in the contract that was an elevator clause wherein anybody that got paid more than yep. him he got matching. So every yeah. time they were rooting for people to get more money for the, than them. Yeah, every time I, they came in, it wasn't like they were against the new guy coming in. Cause it goes, Oh, Hey, we get to move up with you. So these were some of the, the reasons why WCW succeeded in some of the early years, but you could tell that their business model was not something that could ever be sustained with, with the way that it was worked. So, um, and, Ra- and Razor, when he went to WCW, had one of the greatest promos of all time. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Yep. And I mean, for I mean, you know, for I mean, I was probably 13, 14 at the t- 13, I guess at the time. And I mean, you there were weeks where until there was like a, a threatened uh, a threat of a lawsuit by WWE uh, against WCW related to intellectual property, where you didn't really like w- watching it. I really thought. That it was a WWE invasion. Them. Yeah, me too. You didn't know you because they didn't they didn't say yeah. who they were. They didn't mention their names. You're just thinking this is Razor Ramon. He's talking like Razor Ramon, and um, I'm sure you know we'll get to some of those WCW shows one day. Maybe even a Bash at the Beach, which is like one of the bigger moments in the history of wrestling. But um, Razor Ramon always a guy who was really well rounded. I think Andrew hit the nail on the head when we were talking about the King of the Ring. Like he can work so well. He's such a big guy that can move, but he he speaks well. He he hit this character just perfect. Like you just felt like 
you feel like Scott Hall is Razor Ramon, you know, when he, like even more than Scott Hall, and uh, he did a great job with this, and um, and we'll see him be be like a mainstay for the next, you know, three and a half years or so in WWE before he makes the move over to WCW. We then get you know that promo that you guys talked about backstage, Darren. You mentioned the key line: Razor's only been double crossed once before. Ask that Chico what happened if you can find him, and. Uh, and then it's Yoko time. It's Yoko Zuna versus Virgil. Vince, a couple of great Vinceisms in this one, right? So Vince says Yoko Zuna, the grand champion. Yoko Zuna, a very impressive athlete, a sumo style type wrestler, undefeated thus far, sort of has the ability to have it all, if you would. The American catches can style. We've seen him use all of the martial arts. What the hell are you talking? American catches can style? Like, who, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That's not at all. He's a big man, and a big man who can do a little, like, a, a kick here and there. But he's a big man. American catches can. This was great. I, I just laughed when I heard this uh, a few times over. And um, it's Yokozuna. And the thing about this match that you remember, you know, about the early Yokozuna is you could tell when W... WF at the time WWE thought something Or someone was very important With the way they would present them Even before the match Yokozuna he had all the girls set up I mean there was, it was like a, a Two minute process with the flowers And everything before the match would even Begin they uh, had him Weighing in at 505 pounds This is his first pay per view And Darren you know we've talked about Yoko a few times and I'm sure we'll talk about him Even more after this match, the end of 92, he wins the 93 Rumble, yep. and then he's in the title match in every pay-per-view from Mania 93 to Mania 94. Yeah, it's it's wild, and we, we went on about how that year, year plus, the booking and the decisions that WWE made in terms of their big heel uh, was questionable at best, and that's probably putting it kindly. Um, yeah, I mean, this is the match that kind of kicks him off. Uh, it's a quick squash on Virgil, who gets in, you know, a couple of spots, a couple of drop kicks, some punches, and stuff like that. But you know, Yoko pretty much dominates him with with the big moves. Um, you know, Bobby's got a funny line. McMahon says, "Look at those thighs," and Heenan says, "You think a five master works for him?" Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, another point where. Uh, Virgil tries to like roll up Yoko, which is just hysterical, and Yoko just falls square on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes up oh, instant sushi. <laughs> it, like, it doesn't even make sense because he does it twice falls. in the match. Yeah. He tries yeah. to roll him up two times. Two times, yeah. Uh, and then it, and then uh, you know he drops the leg on him up. He hit him with the drumstick, McMahon. Uh, <laughs> And then the bonsai drop. Here comes the cranberry sauce only. <laughs> I mean, it's just great, you know. But, yeah, I mean, this does what it's, you know, the purpose He looks good. This. Yoko looks good here. You know, he, he they do a good oh. job. Like, he gets so He was... The Uranagi's a sick Uranagi that he hits. So, a little uh, rock bottom, kind of, yeah. 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 I mean, it, he, you know, he's got a couple of moves in here that are good. The leg drop is fine. Uh, you know, it, he and what he looks like right here, which he really isn't. He looks like a big guy that can move. But, he does, and Andrew... Uh, this isn't 
This is kind of what you want from a big man Like this is where Yoko's at his best Some of these quick matches He gets to kind of showcase a few, a few of his moves he, We don't have to see him in any of those Long kind of sloppy Rest holds or anything This just goes a few minutes And this does the job of getting Yoko over I think it ends up like 3 minutes and 30 seconds When it's all said and done I get to bring up my favorite Vince line now Yay So <laughs> Virgil comes out And by the way Virgil gets a decent reaction here. Yeah, he's always does. Yeah. Virgil. Yeah. And Vince goes, This crowd's fired up, shucking and jiving, so to speak. <laughs> and he just sounds like Steve Buscemi's character in Billy Madison. <laughs> How do you do, fellow kids? Like if, trying to be hip and just failing miserably. Pee in your pants is cool. Consider me Miles Davis. <laughs> So the belly-to-belly that Yoko does gets a really big reaction. We mentioned that's a move that he could really do and do very well. You mentioned the booking of Yoko here. Yeah, if you're going to book Yoko over strong, you don't book him strong for 15 minutes. You book him strong for three minutes. Uh, Heenan has a really good line talking about how Yokozuna is like the Hindenburg with a sidecar. That's a pretty good line. I'm glad you mentioned the failed roll-up where Yoko just sits on him um here's my problem and this goes to what we've talked about this goes to the booking of yokozuna as a main event heel whatever say yoko comes along five or ten years later you book him as the heel you see have him squash guys for six months and instead of giving him the title you give him the undertaker instead that would have been such a better use of Yoko keeping him out of the title picture. Which you do eventually. Eventually, you, yes. But you use the title as opposed to giving that to Harder Luger. Completely Luka agree. Elevating a new star. You they could, got there, but the title was unnecessary. And it added something that didn't add anything to the actual match. Just do Yoko Taker as your basic storyline. Get that out of the way. And you do it that way. I, I just didn't see the need, and I still don't see the need in hindsight to give Yokozuna that big, long title run where he's in the main event of every pay-per-view for a year. My goodness, thankfully, they only had a couple of pay-per-views. Could you imagine someone nowadays being in oh, the main God. event of wow. every pay-per-view from one WrestleMania to the other? I mean... And, and, and starting in the guys. Rumble, like winning the Rumble and even yeah. going on from there, you know. Yeah, there's a handful of guys that could have pulled that off, and Yokozuna's nowhere close to that list. For what this was, it was fine. Unfortunately, it got worse. Yeah, you gotta treat him more like you did with, with Andre. Like the like the yeah. you know, the the attraction. He doesn't need the title. You have him in a different world from the title. And then towards the end of his career, you put Andre in the title picture to kind of help him even get Hogan over more. That's fine. With Yoko, I completely agree. He would have been good in a in a world with like even from here on, like, you know, you've got the Undertaker dealing with Kamala here as he's just turning face. And then after this, you've got the Undertaker dealing with Giant Gonzalez for the next you know, like eight months or so. Eternity. It, it would have been so much better to have Yoko in there, who is. We we talk about Yoko not being great in the title picture. I mean, damn, he's a million times better than what Undertaker was dealing with as far as Kamala and then Giant Gonzalez after that. And we saw the Yoko Undertaker stuff wasn't bad after. It just wasn't something that ever needed the title. I'm glad you mentioned that, um, Andrew. Um, some other things to mention from this match. Um, 
he uh virgil says bob uh virgil uh, bobby's talking about virgil and he says uh the man can box he can wrestle let's see what you can do virgil he says don't even have a last name <laughs> and then uh power from yoko early virgil hits uh, hits him with a couple of drop kicks attempts what looks like a roll up he does that twice which we all talked about um and yoko catches virgil with the that sidewalk slam He kind of hits them with there instead of the Uranagi Looks like a real solid rock bottom Yoko has some moves As Andrew mentioned I think in one of our previous pay-per-views Like the belly to belly looks clean Some of the stuff he does he can catch you with one of those kicks That looks clean He just didn't need to be kind of presented as The guy for You know over a year in this company When you had a guy like Bret Hart You had Shawn Michaels there You had Perfect back in the mix You had plenty of really solid options That you could have gone to in the main event picture And instead it was all kind of revolving around Yoko Which you know we know that Vince loves the big guys Andrew I'm going to go to you first on this one Because this is that uh, promo you're talking about Where Perfect and Savage They're celebrating backstage with Shawn Mooney Perfect uh, he has a couple of big Uncooked turkeys He brings one out for Flair One for Razor and Then he brings a tiny bird out for uh, for Bobby And again this is like Similar to what we get with what Hogan at the end of Wrestlemania 92 Similar to what we get with, with uh, Lex Luger in SummerSlam 93 I just never am a fan when these guys are celebrating After a DQ Like they won the title Yeah and mind you this promo is still good. Perfect bringing out the turkeys and the chicken. That was funny. Though I got to tell you, I really hope he was setting the turkeys and the chicken down on a sanitary place. Because otherwise, you're just <laughs> wasting good food. Even though I'm not the biggest fan of turkey, hot take, turkey is overrated. And you'll never be able to talk me out of that. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I know. I'm incredibly weird. Now, <laughs> the promo was good. You had two guys who were really good promo guys, and they had fun with this. And I can tell when people are having fun with these kinds of promos, and that makes things a little bit more enjoyable. But you could tell they were trying to make the best of some bad material that they were given. You won on a DQ. You didn't pin them. You didn't make them submit. It it, it fell flat for me. And it wasn't as big a deal as the ones you mentioned, Gino, because... That that was where there was a title involved, and instead they're going, oh, yay, we won, we won. You didn't win the title, shut up. This was one of those things where it wouldn't have looked quite so bad if the feud had an appropriate blow-off. Yep. The yep. fact that it didn't, which is none of these guys' faults, by the way. And they didn't know. I mean, I'm yeah. sure they all assumed moving forward there would be a little more to this. Yeah, in a vacuum, this is good. Everything considered, it's just fine. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with it. Um, you know, I, I, part of the part of the problem that that the, 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 they're stuck in here is that you know this match, even though it was only the fourth match on the card, was really a centerpiece of the the show. It's the um, main event. It is because they didn't even know Brett Sean. That was like late. Brett had recently been the champ. Sean recently won the IC title. Like that was like a that was the, the, the for the title, but that wasn't the main event. Yeah. So, like, these guys in these promos are, are acting like this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Because the entire build-up to this match was made out to be a big deal. So, I, I, I agree that I don't like seeing these types of reactions to, 
you know, DQ wins and, and awkward finishes. But at the same time, they're kind of playing out the role that has been presented for the last two months. So yep. I get that part of it. It just would have been much better, one, if the finish was clean, or two, if this feud continued to go somewhere. Because, Gino, at the end of this thing, you, you I mean, I left the Survivor Series thinking that Macho Man and Mr. Perfect were a new tag team. Me too. Like, that's what it looked like to me. Like, these guys are high-fiving. We make the perfect team. I think you're the best. No, I think you're the best. Like, these guys look like this is going to be a tag team going forward. And then it just kind of stops. And you kind of see these guys on a level at this point as even above Bret Hart, who is the champ. You know, yeah. you see Macho Man as someone who's a multiple-time champ. You see Perfect coming back. Flair's in the mix, and he's been a champ. And Brett kind of just won the title from Flair, but he still doesn't quite feel at that level, even as someone who's a Brett fan. So you feel like these guys are in the main event picture. You feel like there's still more to come from Savage. We don't really see a whole heck of a lot from him in 93. And we feel like Razor's kind of a main event fixture. We see him, you know, in it with Brett. And then we don't realize that... Flair's going to be gone soon and uh, and perfect. I mean, what's funny is the next year Survivor Series. So when you watch the you know Survivor Series on the WWE Network and you're watching Survivor Series '92, when you finish the next Survivor Series, will roll right over and start into it. So it'll be '93, and in '93 Survivor Series, it, it's funny always to see what happens in one year. Razor Ramon comes out as a babyface with his team, and one of the members of his team is supposed to be Mister Perfect. But he's not there, and the man who actually fills the role of Mr. Perfect is Macho Man. Right. Which is crazy to see how in one year, those guys are all involved again, and Perfect is gone. And then we don't see Perfect again until, what I think, uh, as the referee at WrestleMania 10. And then we see Perfect later in the in the WCW. Um, so, yeah, we talk about all the things changing a lot. Like, it feels like... you. Perfect and and someone like Flair are going to be around for a long time here and and that's not really the case as we move along now and uh oh before we do a couple things that Bobby says so after they come back from that promo Bobby uh says, oh this uh, is so good thank you v- for mentioning v- it you know Vince says something about uh you know hey Bobby can you gobble gobble and Bobby says no I can't say gobble gobble I'm not a turkey I'm not a chicken I'm not a weasel I'm not an animal I'm a human being and I'm I'm gonna go to work and make sure that perfect and savage are stuffed once and for all trying to make a fool out of me with a couple of dead buzzards and some little squab or partridge or whatever that was and and then Vince says maybe it was a Cornish hen I just got a kick out of the the mentioning of the squab the partridge and the Cornish hen uh all in this mix which you don't really assume you're gonna get uh Mentions of those on a wrestling show But you do in 1992 When Bobby the Brain Heenan is in the mix We then got a Survivor Series Sort of a Survivor Series match This was an elimination match It was the Beverly Brothers and Money Incorporated Versus the Nasty Boys and the Natural Disasters And what was a little strange about this match Andrew is that Leading into this year All of the matches had been You know elimination matches But we generally got one person being eliminated at a time This match since there were two tag teams When one of the competitors Was eliminated the tag team Was was eliminated And another thing Andrew that was kind of weird about this match Which is okay We have four teams And none of them really scream Babyface 
even the two face teams, they're not necessarily what you think of when you think of a baby face. I'm glad you brought that up because the Nasty Boys ever being baby faces was news to me. And yeah. when they came out and got that pop, I was stunned. I knew the natural disasters were baby faces at some point. And obviously you had Money, Inc. and the Beverly Brothers on the other side. I was prepared to hate this match. I'd seen who was involved. I knew what the rules were. I was prepared to not like this match. And I liked it. It was okay. Yeah, it was fine. I was pleasantly surprised. You have the Beverly Brothers who, with the right opponents, can be very good workers. And they brought it. Erwin R. Scheister, Mike Rotundo, really good worker. Ted DiBiase, really good worker. And the heels led the faces through this match because, let's be honest, let's be realistic. When John Tenta is the best in-ring worker out of the other four guys in the match, it's going to be a struggle. The heels led this match, and it was really fun. The Beverly brothers were bumping their butts off for everybody. Mike Enos puts on a selling clinic in this match. IRS goes flying after a near fall on Earthquake. That was pretty cool. He covered him. Earthquake shot him up in the air a couple of feet. And IRS went over the referee. That was a pretty cool spot. Now, the finish was a little bit weird. Money, Inc. cheats to beat the natural disasters. The Nasties get the win off the roll-up. Heenan yells, no tag, no tag, no tag. Well, no tag was really necessary because Earthquake and Typhoon were both eliminated. Someone else has to come in. Yep. So this was a good match. It was a very pleasant surprise. And this is probably, with the exception of the WrestleMania match against the Hart Foundation, this is probably the Nasty Boys' best WWF match. Yeah, it's there. I'll take the side of it and point out the bad because <laughs> there's a there's a couple of things here that drive me crazy. Um, there's a spot with the Beverly Brothers and the Nasty Boys where Bo tags in Blake and or Blake tags in Bo, I should say. Yeah, which one is which? I don't know. <laughs> to me, they're Mikey and Wayne Bloom. I don't know yeah, about the Beverly's. Yeah. Just you know, it's the old yeah, line. Which know. one's Dawson? Which one's Dash? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so um, Bo is holding uh, like I, one of the nasty boys is like I think it was Knobs um, up against the ropes. Like he was gonna hold him and and. Blake was supposed to come and do like a, you know, leapfrog over onto the back kind of thing while the guy was like dangling off the rope. But it kind of gets botched and and Bo comes running in and like has to stop or after getting all the momentum off the ropes and like throws like a couple of awkward kicks. And it was like, what the hell was the point of all that? <clears throat> the pin of Typhoon is off. Yeah, yeah it's bad. It's well, like he's on the ground, like squirming, like no, no, don't pin me, don't pin me, don't pin me. Like, like it looks like he could kick out at any second, but he's just laying there, like flailing his arms around and shaking his head, like no, no, I don't want to lose, no. It's just, it's just bad. Um, and then the ending, like you said, is kind of weird, but yeah. Uh, the one thing that I took away from this match that I thought was strange that we don't normally see. Is that the guy that gets beat up in the match is Earthquake? Yeah, 
Earthquake is down a lot in this match where he's got a hot tag out to Typhoon. And it's usually the opposite, for sure. All the way around. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. It was a fun match, except for, like, a couple of weird-looking spots. You know, the Typhoon pin had some stink on it, um, and it, and it was a bit of a thorn in my side. But, uh, you know, going into it, asking me what I would have expected, it came out better than I would have thought. There were a couple of uh, times through the years where IRS and Typhoon had some weird pins uh, where I, it was just awkward with uh, Typhoon trying to kind of figure out how to, to get like get rolled up. Uh, at the beginning of this match, Bobby tells uh, Vince, you confuse me. You're worse than Monsoon. And then IRS grabs the mic, and this was just straight and simple. If you people want to survive, pay your taxes. Boom. That's it. You know, that's it. That's it. Nothing, nothing crazy about it. You, you know, it's all you need. Yeah, just pay your taxes. Um, in different elimination rules than in previous years, the Nasty Boys, as uh, we mentioned, newly turned baby faces because Jimmy Hart gave their title shot to Money Inc. Instead, nothing special. Early heels work on Sags for a while, and then just like no true likable baby face might have hurt this team from being. Might have hurt this match from being even a little better than it was I think I was more towards the Andrews side And in, in that it was better than I was expecting I was kind of like, ah, this isn't going to be very good when, when I saw it again But um, it, I, Sags was in there for quite a while um, Everybody gets in the ring for a minute Quake hits the splash on the on the brothers Beverly And uh, Bobby says, you know what, Money Inc., they're the tag team champs They just need to walk away right now they just need to leave. There's no reason for them to stay. Save the injury. We get the Irwin chance, which are pretty good. It at least showed you that the crowd was um they they treated IRS and Money Inc. like heels. Um we get DiBiase tripping Typhoon for that pin. And then Bobby says, uh, oh Typhoon's knee just went out on him. IRS gets the pin on Typhoon. Um it's immediately followed by Sags getting the roll up on IRS to win. Eh, ending, but I still think it was better than I was going to uh, uh, figure coming into the match. We then head backstage. We see Tatanka, Mr. Perfect, and Macho Man. They're on the the phone lines for the fan line, and that just upsets Bobby. He can't even. He's just flustered. He's like, he can't even like complete a thought. He's getting things out, and he's getting mad at Vince because he's all flustered. And uh, and then it's the build up for the Undertaker versus Kamala. We get a Paul Bear promo with Undertaker and. Darren, we know them now as cas- uh, casket matches. This was a coffin match back then. I will say, I loved when they did these promo buildups with Undertaker when he was in these different settings. Like this one looked great. He's sitting there backstage and he's like, he's like laying the wood and building the coffin. You know, as Paul Bear kind of talks, and then we just get Undertaker for a moment. We're we're still pretty new into the babyface version of the Undertaker here. Yeah, it, SummerSlam '92 was was kind of a big moment. He had that that sit up where come the look on Kamala's face. Kamala like tells a really good story here. You know, for what he could do in the ring, the whole the whole storyline here with Taker I thought was fun. I thought it had a very comedic aspect to it. In just how scared of the Undertaker and the casket he was, um, but you're right. That promo where Taker's making the casket is great. That stuff that he used to do, where he would literally be in there, you know, like wood carving or sanding and stuff like yeah. that, was awesome. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, even the spot where they show on like superstars where Paul Bearer brings the, the casket out and Kamala just goes nuts and goes flying over the top rope and runs out through the crowd. And then like the following week on challenge where Kamala's in the ring again and, and he, he bounces off the ropes and he sees it and he does like a, like a half ass baseball. Yeah. <laughs> and just nuts again. I mean, it's, it's really good acting on his part. It's a really good sell. Um, and it kind of tells the story going into this whole thing. Uh, at the top of the show, Heenan was saying how he thought Kamala was in trouble. Um, you know, it's not his kind of match and everything. And we touched on this before. I mean, there's not much to this match. It doesn't, it doesn't go on very long. I think it's only about five minutes long. And um, Kamala gets in some offense. He, get, he looks like he's going to win. And then, of course, he doesn't. But, you know, the big thing here is that in – after this, a casket match would end by just having to put your opponent in the casket. Yep. This match is different, as we touched on before, where Taker pins Kamala and then puts him in the casket. So they're still trying to figure this out. It's the first one of these. We don't really like know, you know, where they're going with it yet. But again, I, I like the comedic aspect to it. It's kind of weird a little bit for Taker, given his character. But I thought it played well. I thought it played off Taker's, you know, demonic demeanor pretty well. I, I enjoyed Kamala's work here. And for five minutes, it didn't take a lot of investment. I thought this was kind of fun. Yeah, this, uh, it was fun. The storyline, I think, was far better than this match. Yep. This mm -hmm. match, from the standpoint of someone who was, let's see, three or four at the time, depending on when Thanksgiving fell, I'm a November baby. My notes in this match, they're pretty short. One of the lines is Kamala equals immobile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He hits the three splashes. And I use the term hits very, <laughs> very loosely. Because he basically takes a couple of steps, falls to his knees, gets up, does it again. They do the three splashes. Taker sits up. They bring the urn into play. That's what wakes Taker up. That part is funny. From a logical standpoint, though, here's my problem. So Taker gets the pin, whatever. Kim Chi and Harvey Whippleman are right there. Do they make any effort to stop Kamala, who is deathly afraid of The Undertaker, pun intended? From going in the casket. Nope. They don't. What's the point of a heel bringing the manager and whatever the hell Kim Chi was? Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn brawler. What's the <laughs> point of bringing them if you're not going to use them in that situation? For goodness sake, if you've got a big enough casket, throw all three of them in there and wheel them all to the back. That didn't make sense to me. This was not a great match. I hated the finish. It was a good angle. I'll give them points for that. But this was far before the point in time where The Undertaker was a worker. This was Taker embodying the gimmick. And th this yep. match, in the words of Jim Ross, who was not with the company yet, would best be considered bowling shoe ugly. There was a <laughs> fan dressed up at the very beginning, like Paul Bear, who looked great. Uh, oh, that like was funny. That young was funny. fan. He was in the he he looked really, really good. Um, and then Vince wonders why they would sign a coffin match, and Brain says it was because uh, 
Whippleman said Kamala's not afraid And they, they did it for money And then we get uh, Undertaker and Paul Bear coming out The coffin that they had built for Kamala Which had Kamala's like symbols all over it This thing was massive It was a huge Quote unquote coffin that we would Become to call casket um, Not long after this And then uh, Vince You know it's Vince and Bobby and they're talking about how uh, Vince says we'll see it first When Bret Hart The WWF champ squares off against Shawn Michaels The IC title holder Huh? Like Wrestlemania 6 Warrior Hogan We've seen this before you know this is another one of those Where like Vince is just like saying something That it's like Warrior's gone So this might be different than the What he said about Martell and that He might literally be trying to bury Warrior A little bit in this sense but um, it's it's funny when you hear Vince say those things And you're like, God, Vince, you should know a little bit better I, I No matter what about Kamala Not a great worker at this time He always had a good look With the paint he The face, the facial expressions that he would do um, Some chops early I mean, Bobby's scared of the Undertaker Also One thing I liked what the Undertaker did He had a short left-handed clothesline That reminded me of a Jake the Snake Um Clothesline like that short little clothesline It was almost like something he might have learned from Jake Earlier in 92 Um, Taker goes after Harvey and Kimchi Kamala attacks from behind tosses him in Steps uses a chair on Taker's back Kamala slams Taker Who immediately sits up three different times He sits up right away Kamala hits a splash on him The quote unquote splash as Andrew said a few times And then uh, Kimchi actually Trips Paul Bear he drops the urn Into the ring Kamala is scared as hell of the urn though He won't even touch the urn He runs away from it Then he looks at the coffin He gets scared by the coffin And Taker hits Kamala in the back of the head with the urn He pins him And then he rolls him into the coffin He puts the top on and then he, Which was cool at this point He hammers the nails into the coffin After he puts the top on And uh, Brain says Undertaker is not a human being They push Kamala down the aisle In the coffin back or, uh, Back to the uh, the locker room and bought and one thing I thought was really cool Bobby says about eight years before we really ever start to hear this the last ride which is funny which is the name of the Undertaker series that's on the the, the WWE network right now and uh, one of the the moves that the Undertaker would adopt as one of a, his finishing moves years down the uh, the line from here Bobby always like just ahead of his curve I wonder sometimes if they like literally look back at some of the things Bobby says and they're like. I like what he said. I'm going to use that as my move, the last ride. Who knows? Maybe we get Shawn Michaels, Darren. And man, a lot had happened leading up to this WWF title match in the last, you know, two months. We get Bret Hart, who's the new champ. Shawn Michaels is the now IC champ and the number one contender in here. And Shawn lays this out pretty logically, right? He says, hey, the Bulldog beat Bret. And then I beat the Bulldog Doesn't it make sense that I'm going to be Brett And he get, we, we see a, a glimpse A good little glimpse of the look of Sean And what, what Sean's going to be for years to come Yeah, yeah, no, for sure By the way, one more thing I, I, Before I get into this, I want to add One pet peeve that drives yeah. me crazy With the Undertaker pins Can the guys taking the pin When he's going to do the thing With the hands on the chest Can they not bring their hand up to their chest so, like, they're literally laying down flat, and the Undertaker moves one they, hand. They, like, help him do it. I helps by bringing his other hand up. 
No, you're not supposed to move your other hand. You're supposed to be half dead. Let him pick up your hand and put it there. Like, I don't, you, and by the way, if you watch the matches, you see that a lot where the guy does that. It's, we talk about the little things. That's a little thing, but it always bothers me. Okay. Onto the Sean promo. Yes, he gives a very logical promo. Bulldog beat Brett. I beat Bulldog. He'd been saying that in his promos leading up to it. Uh, I have, you know, the, the whole angle of this match was Sean has nothing to lose. He walks out of here with the IC belt no matter what. Uh, he's got nothing to lose. Brett has everything to lose. Um, so, yeah, it, they play up that angle. Uh, it's a good promo. You know, you can kind of see glimpses of future Sean here and where he's going. But the, the really cool thing about this match, this is that there have been Brett Sean matches uh, even before this. I think I think at like Rampage 92 they fought. They even had a ladder match. A ladder match, yep. Uh, which you can actually get and see. I think it's on the network. It's in one of Brett's collections. I, yeah. Yeah. I know I've seen it somewhere on there. Um, but at this point in time, Brett and Sean actually are friends. They like um, each other. You could tell in the promos. Like, yeah. They like each other. Um, Brett knows that Sean can really go. Sean obviously knows that Brett can really go. And they really liked working together at this point in time. Because they thought that the two of them together was pure gold. And it and was. They were right. And they were right. And, you know, it's a shame that things kind of went south the way they did through 97. Because you can see the difference. And I'm not saying that the matches got bad by any means. But this match, these two guys out there are having fun. And you can tell. They like each other still. Yeah. And, you can, and it comes off really well. Um, the you know we'll get into the match, but we'll, you know there's a couple of cool things. Number one, they they show Sean coming in, and every back then whenever they had Sean coming in, they wanted to try to get like a shot of an attractive girl in the crowd, like you know. Mm-hmm. You know Andrew like, mentioned this to me in a text earlier. Yeah, <laughs> a girl, and then she's like booing with the thumbs down, so it kind of backfired. You know, um, that didn't work. Um, yeah, then uh, Vince mentions how Brett might be you know, the, the best fighting champion of all time. And, you know, Heenan goes, wrong. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Flair. You know? That was great. That was great. Um, but, yeah, I mean, going into this, you know that it's going to be a really good match. Uh, and, and Andrew, I think the fact – we'll dive into it, but I think the fact that the two of them are having fun, I mean, it, you can really tell. I liked this match, and we'll get into the reasons why – I got to mention a big problem I have with the dueling promos right up front. Those of you who have been with us throughout our rewatches over the past weeks and months may remember when we watched WrestleMania six and they treated Toronto like it was an American city. Well, this sort of had some of the same stuff, just slightly inverted in spots. Brett Hart cuts a promo about Thanksgiving. Guys, <laughs> where's Brett from? When's Canadian Thanksgiving? October? October! <laughs> Not now. That bothers the heck out of me. And he's talking about Thanksgiving and all these American customs. Your Thanksgiving was six weeks ago. Shut up! It didn't work. And this was the time where 
even though Brett had been with the WWF for a while, his promo skills still left a lot. No, they were still, he was still figuring it out. We saw it at King of the Ring 93 too, still like he, he hadn't really get his footing as like a main event guy. No. And he could get the point across, but as the champion style promo, okay, you've got 90 seconds, sell the match, go. He didn't have that yet. And when he did the American Thanksgiving stuff, I went, oh boy. And then I remembered, wait a minute, I can use this. And I started writing <laughs> stuff down in my uh, little uh, text edit function on my computer. But uh, no, the, the match itself, kidding aside, this is a hell of a deal. So we before this, a couple other things to mention. Sean Mooney is in the back with Sean Michaels, and he talks about how Sherry is recovering from the injury because Sean Michaels pulled Sherry in front of him. And Sean says, no, no, I didn't do that. You know, he mentions in there. And they talk about how Brett's defending against everyone. And, you know, Sean just talks about how he's got nothing to lose. We get a huge pop from the crowd before anybody's even introduced, which I thought was kind of cool. They, when Fink just mentions that this is the WWF championship match, the crowd goes crazy here. And Mean Gene's backstage with Brett, as Andrew mentioned. This isn't a great promo, but Mean Gene kind of sets it up a little bit early on. And he says um, that, you know, Brett has taken on all comers, whoever challenged him. And he, he doesn't mention necessarily the murderer's row of uh, contenders in the Mountie, the Berserker, the Model, Papa Shango, and Virgil. Who Brett has defeated all with a sharpshooter But hey, Brett's the new champ Like getting getting title defenses I guess over is, uh, is key here And the one thing I will say though I wish we could get In the main event matches Or maybe in the, the title matches nowadays Or in the big feuds I really love the promo Right before the wrestlers come out to, to the ring I love that. I think you get a, a different kind of energy right before they come out to wrestle. They're pumped up. They're kind of ready to go. You just kind of get there. Sometimes, sometimes a little, something a little raw. And I like that setting for the promo. Brett still needed a, a lot to work on in that sense, but um, I wish we could get a little bit more of them right before the big matches nowadays. One thing I thought was kind of cool is that how Brett kind of tells the story, and he says, "Hey, you know what, Sean." I mean, you could tell when Brett's cutting this promo, he is so damn happy. He's so proud of himself, like being the champ now after all this time. He talks about the eight and a half years. He talks about, you know, his path from the bottom up, the tag through the tag team ranks, through the intercontinental ranks. And he's won a few, he's lost a few, but now he's at the highest level. And he says to Sean, I think this was kind of your point, Darren. Sean Michaels, you're a great wrestler. You've got all kinds of great moves. I've got nothing but respect for you, and you're going to be a great intercontinental champion. But right now, this is my time, which is cool. I mean, a, a lot different than we see when the two of them lock up five years from now at the the very same show, the Survivor Series, which we're going to talk about uh, one day. We get a massive pop for Brett. I mean, Vince. This is Vince's guy now. And Vince is screaming. He's selling Brett, the most scientific WWE champ of all time. And then Darren, you mentioned that's when uh, when Bobby comes in and says, "Wrong, Flair." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Vince reminds Bobby that Brett beat Flair to win the title, and Bobby thinks uh, Brett's demanding schedule is going to end up catching up with him. He says he's not a bright guy because he ends up taking it to 
Sean early He doesn't have to do that We get a slow feeling out process early Bobby, he lays the match out for a match out for us He says, Sean's gotta have Brett make a mistake And then he's basically gotta cheat You know, and Brett gets a crossbody early Brett has a lot of the advantage early on He's working on that, uh, that arm he does the the arm toss and the arm the arm drag and the arm he's he's getting the he's working on that I think right or left arm of Sean's and and then Brett really works on the uh, the it, it shades of ninety two mania when he's working on the arm it's like what what he did with Piper when he was like holding on to that arm early Brett is one step ahead of Sean and Bobby asks could they get a wake up call we could be here a while uh, we get another stun gun from Sean the momentum shifts Brett's now in charge. Um, for a minute, and then Sean, boom, quickly back in charge. He starts to pick up the intensity. Brett goes chest first, uh, chest first into the turnbuckle for a near count. Bobby's starting to get excited. He thinks Sean has an opportunity to win here. Sean has a headlock, and Vince is really praising Brett at this point. Things slow back down. We get a bulldog from Brett. He misses with an elbow off the ropes. Sean hits the flying, which was a, a cool move from Sean. He he hits like a flying spinning back elbow. Uh, just misses for the, the the two count there Bobby says Sean is ahead on points If the match is stopped right now Sean's ahead on the points We He's got more, top on to- uh, more time on top And more ride time And Vince asks What will happen if Sean wins? Is he going to have to forfeit the IC title? I mean it's your damn company Vince Just tell us what you're going to do <laughs> You know like you, you can just tell us You don't have to ask questions here You know, you can let us know what you're going to do um, well, before and you, yeah, that's what ended up happening with Warrior giving up the IC title. So I assume that's what would happen again. Right, yeah, you, you would think so. So uh, I, I love these lines with with Vince here. Um, Brett, uh, Brett gets a small. Brett hits this small package from like a standing spot. He did this something similar to this with Bam Bam and the King of the Ring. He does it so quickly. That he can actually kind of catch you off guard If you see somebody else do that It would be so slow developing That you would never feel like they had a chance to hit it But Brett just kind of Catches you and just rolls you over And then boom It's like you're already one, you're already down for one and a half Before you even know what happens And then this is where I think the last ten minutes of the match This pace really quickens Brett catches Sean He sort of power bombs him when he's holding his legs and he slingshots him into the ring post Really cool spot Brett goes through all of his moves Side rush and leg sweep for two Backbreaker, then his, then the elbow off the middle rope for two Suplex off the top for two The the ref gets hit in the corner It's not a ref bump I almost thought this was kind of a weird spot I wondered if he was supposed to Or maybe Earl just kind of got caught In a spot that he wasn't supposed to be Sean sort of ducks Brett gets tossed outside Sean tosses him into the ring post I mean we're really going at it here And they're they're going at a much quicker pace 18 minutes into a match Than we've seen in the WWF Like in a long time Since we're talking like Savage Steamboat stuff And um, Brett gets slammed on the outside of the ring Sean flings Brett into the turnbuckle Then he actually goes Um uh, Back first, he gets a, a two count And Brett, we never see Brett going back first into the turnbuckle We always see him going chest first He actually did one where he went back first Sean gets a bo- uh, back body drop for two And now he's starting to get upset because he can't get the pin on Brett Brett tries to roll up for two Sean stands up, he hits Darren, I thought this was a clean looking Whether it was the angle Or, or for some reason 
this was a damn good looking sweet chin music before we oh, called yeah. it sweet chin music. Right camera view for sure. We but, get the yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, like it, it it's kind of interesting because it's not the finisher yet, and Sean couldn't really capitalize on it. But they they caught that from the perfect angle because it looked like that caught him right underneath the chin. And Brett, of course, you know, drops like like a ton of bricks and sells the hell out of it. So, uh, yeah, it, that, that's a really cool spot. But, hey, it's a match with a million cool spots. I agree. And this was a match that had something for everybody. Now, this is what I texted Gino about. Gino alluded to this earlier, but when they started this match, I thought there was something wrong with my TV and my sound system because the women in the crowd were going ballistic. And I I, I texted Gino. I said, I I hope Stephanie isn't watching this match because it's jarring. It's not something we heard at all the rest of the show. And then it seemed like the entire audience was women. It's completely different, and it illustrates how WWE was changing at this point. Because earlier you had Hogan appealing to the kids with Say Your Prayers, Eat Your Vital, whatever. This was appealing to a different crowd for different reasons. Now, Bobby Heenan had a really good line. Uh, Vince was getting on his case about something. It might have been flair-related. But Heenan suddenly goes, stop it, or I'm going to ask you to leave. (laughs) And just the thought of Bobby Heenan telling the guy the boss. running the company yeah. to leave the announcer's booth was so good. Vince has an Ico Pro plug during an early sequence where both guys are <laughs> flying around. He talks about their cardiovascular conditioning and says, Ico Pro, whatever the, the catchphrase was, whatever. And, and that was just, it, it was weird, and it's a sign of the times for sure. The thing that I'll spotlight, and then we'll talk about the last couple minutes of this match, which were really good, is... The thing that elevates this from a good match to a really good match is, yes, they use what would be classified as rest holds, but they use them sparingly and they make them count. Mm -hmm. This isn't isn't Yokozuna after four minutes saying, I need a breather and grabbing a nerve hold. This is, I'm going to grab this rest hold with the purpose of working this body part for later in the match. Completely different, really good psychology display there. And it, that really adds to the match. You hit a point yeah. that was good. At one point, Bobby says something about how much he gets paid, which I thought was funny too. He says, you know, I make a lot of money doing this. And Vince kind of chuckles, you know, which is great. And it's like, oh yeah, that's the guy that's uh, signing your checks. Um, and uh, when it looks like Sean's going to win, I mean, the, the last 10 minutes are really good. And like five minutes in particular, there's a lot of near falls back and forth. Bobby starts celebrating like he's won. Sean's kind of like his new guy. And sh- this is right after Sean hits that, uh, the sweet chin music before it's sweet chin music, because that's not his finisher yet. And he calls for his finisher. He hits it, and Brett kicks out. It's Sean's finisher at the time was just like an inverted suplex kind of a move. Um, Brett then comes off with a forearm off the ropes. Sean gets tied up. And there was a really cool spot where Brett goes flying into him, but Sean moves immediately. And then Brett gets kind of like he goes right into the ropes. He gets kind of hung up. It was a cool spot. It's just something you didn't see at the time. And then Brett ends up catching Sean off the top rope by the legs. He hooks in the sharpshooter for the win. There were a lot of counters in this match. And we were we were really getting a glimpse at two guys who were just damn good. 
And I think Vince at this point, Darren, he was kind of a little bit screwed, right? Like he, you would have, have assumed that Warrior and Bulldog were probably going to be in, in a little bit higher spots on this show, and they weren't. And now your for your hand is forced a little bit. You've got to end up putting Brett and Sean, a couple guys who you know are good workers, but you don't necessarily think are main event guys into the main event. His hand was forced, but these guys delivered, and we would see these two carry the company for the next five years at the very least. Yeah, and and here's the, the thing that I really love about this match. And I, and I think it was done by the two of them putting this together in a certain way by design. This match is the evolution of a wrestler. Mm-hmm. The match starts where Bret Hart is the more seasoned more focused, more technically sound wrestler who is able to get reversals, uh, you know, counter Sean's moves. And Sean becomes increasingly frustrated in the fact that every time he thinks he gets Brett down, Brett does a reversal, Brett does a counter, Sean ends up in a hold. And you see him kind of pounding the mat, shaking his head, smacking himself in the face, getting frustrated. And Basically, what's happening is Brett is putting these moves on Sean to try to wear him out throughout the match. And as the match goes on, it's almost as if Sean is learning from the teacher. Great call. Where then Sean goes to the headlock. And now Sean is the guy who's getting the counters and the reversals. And Sean's the guy that keeps going. Like Brett was going back to the arm time and time again. Sean's going back to the head, back to the reverse chin lock. And I think that was done with purpose and completely by design where you literally watch Sean progress as a wrestler seemingly like he would over a two-year period in 26 minutes, which I think is done brilliantly. Um, You talk about like we're in the racing business when someone talks about the soundness of a horse where you would say there's not a pimple on him. There's not a pimple on this match. The moves are flawless some of them like you talked about that small package that is so fast and so smooth brent hits a swing neck breaker on sean that's just tremendous the stuff where brent goes flying into the ropes all their their typical moves um they're just great you could see why sean vacates the finisher that he has and it, it was a lopsided finisher to begin with but he hits his finisher and Vince doesn't even recognize it. No, he, they don't. Nobody knows. Like he, like it kind of like he calls for it. He goes for it. Brett counters out. There's a bit of a back and forth, and quickly Sean catches a minute and hits the finisher. And all Vince says was, "And he turns him over." And goes and, for the and Sean's trying to kind of sell it, like, "Oh, right. I just, I just hit my big move, and he kicked out." But Vince and and Bobby nope. don't even realize because it's such a, a regular move. Yep, they don't. There's nothing like, oh, Brett kicked out of whatever the hell he called it. I don't even remember. You know, it's something like, with, I think it had heartbreak in it. I forget. But, you know, th- so you could see why he that finisher doesn't stick around much longer. Um, but, yeah, even the end of the match, in the way that it moves into the sharpshooter, I thought I, I thought everything about this was cool. I have no problems with it. And uh, Andrew, um, there's three matches that Meltzer ever rated higher for Bret Hart than this match, and it is uh, the Austin match at WrestleMania, 
and the two matches with Owen, the cage match at SummerSlam, and the match at WrestleMania 10. Behind those three is this particular Brent Sean match, which I think speaks volumes. I like this match. I really liked this match. There's a couple of things, though, that I can't quite shake, and I can't quite put it above the Iron Man match that they had at WrestleMania 12. Here's why. Late in the match, the referee gets bumped. There's yeah. no reason for the ref to get bumped. Yeah, I, that's the one thing. Is Do you think rule kind of gets caught, or do you think it was like a spot that was supposed to be that didn't end up happening? I, I don't know. I don't know either, but it comes off a little bit weird. Yeah. Sean gets the upper hand, and then Brett sort of goes to the eyes, and I don't know if it was an eye gouge or not, but it looked like an eye gouge as he was going for a suplex or something. And that didn't make sense because Brett was supposed to be the baby face. Those are the two minor flaws in what is otherwise an excellent match with a really good finish. I love Michaels coming off the top, Brett getting the sharpshooter. And also, Michaels hangs in for a couple of seconds longer than usual mm-hmm. in the sharpshooter. Yep, I way more than perfect, a, did. Yep, yeah. I, I thought that was a really cool spot. And also, Bobby Heenan gets a good line in saying, if Michaels doesn't get him, his next opponent will. Well, as it turned out, his next opponent was Razor Ramon, who Bobby Heenan spent most of the pay-per-view singing the praises of. So I thought that was a pretty cool little thing to, to sort of put a bow on that. But this was a really good match. I really liked this match. It's a very, 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 very good match. It just comes in a little bit below the Iron Man match yep, for me, that. which I understand is not an easy watch. It's a 60-minute match where nobody gets a fall. I understand that it's not everybody's cup of tea, and that's fine. For me, that match is a little bit better than this one, but this one is still excellent. I thought overall a good show, as I said at the beginning, of an above-average show. You have two very, you have one really good match, another good match that has a bad ending, and then the re- the rest of the matches you you get what they're doing right. The head shrinkers are they're they're in a match where they're supposed to be getting over. You you know you have the boss man nails match where it's a gimmick match and you're getting the boss man over there. Tatanka's still on the build. Mister Perfect comes back in that match and you're you're getting him over Flair. And Yoko, you're building him up. The Nasty Boys have just turned babyface, so you're you're building them up in that match. The Undertaker is a recently turned babyface, and the Bre- and Bret Hart, you know, in the in the title match, he's a new champ. So I, everything in this show, for the most part, a lot of it made sense, which is what at the end of a show when you look back and you say, you know what, it wasn't a bad show. There were some matches and and some spots that weren't great, but when you end with a really good match. You have another very solid match in the middle of the show. I thought it was pretty good. This is also a show, Darren. You know, you picked, but when we one that we think about as far as like historically, this was a big turn. This was a big moment getting Mr. Perfect back into the mix for a little while, turning Mr. Perfect babyface for the end of his WWF run. All in all, I thought this was a fun show. This was a good selection from you. Nothing, and and I think Andrew hit the nail on the head with it earlier too. It's two hours and 30 minutes tight It's not long You don't feel like it's a long show It moves pretty quickly um, Give me your closing thoughts Darren And then Andrew we're going to move to you And you're going to pick the show for next week Yeah I, I remember this show uh, with, with fondness Because I, I vividly remember 
um, going to my friend's house to watch it because it was it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving break. And I was, I don't know, in third or fourth grade at the time. And I remember being so excited because you're going into Thanksgiving break, you're heading to the holiday season. And now we've got, you know, Survivor Series the night before Thanksgiving. And I just remember being totally stoked for it because I was a big Bret Hart guy and I knew that he was in a huge match. Uh, and, I, and I look back on it on it fondly because uh, for that reason. And, and also because, like I said, you know, listen, not every we can't pick all five star pay-per-views. You know, I mean, we we could literally go through the greatest pay-per-views of all time. But, you know, the, the, every once in a while you have to find some things that have some hidden meanings and some other stuff going on. This is a cool pay-per-view because of what's happening in the WWE mm -hmm. at the time. The transitional period, they're bridging a gap, they're building new characters, they're building new stories. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes through all of this, so there's a lot of cool things to talk about. So I enjoyed it. Now, as far as Andrew's predict what he's going to Here do, we go. You got to guess. Okay, let's see it. So I'm here and I'm saying to myself, what is the worst thing that I can think of is really where I'm going with and the worst thing that I could think of that Andrew would make us watch would be the Chamber of Horrors match from Halloween. <laughs> Where are you going, got Andrew? The right, you've got the right pay-per-view franchise, but you've got the wrong year. Okay. Okay. So you weren't you you weren't totally off base. As mentioned, we are going to Ted Turner's WCW. For the first time in our rewatch, we are headed to Halloween Havoc for what I think is the greatest representation of everything WCW ever embodied. Oh, we no. are going to oh, Halloween no. Havoc oh. 1998. Nice. Oh, no. <laughs> nice. That's exactly the response oh, I wanted from Darren. So nice. for those of you out there who might not know, what Halloween Havoc was. Darren, would you like to tell them? So Halloween Havoc 98 is when WCW brings back the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> Warrior comes out on Nitro to confront Hogan with this, I don't know, 30-minute long promo that it seems like he just doesn't stop talking. And it's Awful. And the first like two five minutes of it are not yeah. bad. Like if you just cut it there, you would have exactly. been okay. If you but cut it at welcome to the reappearance, it's a great promo. Right. But he just keeps going. And then you get the match, which <laughs> oh, I'm so oh, excited for this. I'm excited. I mean, oh no, I can't believe you pulled this one. I'm so now, excited here's the thing. For this. Before we go too much further, that is not the only reason I picked this pay-per-view, although I got to tell you, that response was everything I could have hoped for, and it's got me so excited for next week, I can't even tell you. But this pay-per-view was everything that encapsulated WCW, for better or for worse. You've got an undercard that's got some really good matches on it. There's a mm -hmm. hidden gem Chris Jericho-Raven match that yeah. kicks off this show. That's a really good match. You've got That's a, a world, story world television title match, right? Yeah, it's a, a TV title match. Yes, on pay-per-view, the TV title on pay-per-view, whatever, yep. WCW. 
you get a good storyline with the cruiserweight title where Disco Inferno and Uvendud Carrera had a match early in the show, and then there's a title match later in the show between one of them and Billy Kidman. That's pretty good. You get a good storyline with the Steiner brothers. You even get, I don't want to call it a good match, but it's a decent match between Sting and Bret Hart. And the main event, which may well be the best example of WCW, it's probably Goldberg's best match ever, and nobody got to see it live because nobody from WCW contacted the pay-per-view provider and said, (laughs) hey, we're going a little long tonight. Can you give us an extra half hour? That's a really good match. It's probably Goldberg's best match ever, yeah. unless you really like the Goldberg-Lesnar match from WrestleMania, which was also excellent, but for different reasons. There's a yeah. lot of things to go through with this one. And while the Hogan-Warrior match is dreadfully bad, and while I cannot wait for Darren to just spontaneously combust live <laughs> on the spine call, uh, Skype call rather, and for his wife and kids to have to put him back together again afterwards. That was <laughs> not the only reason I picked this show. I'm excited to go back and live through it because I was a WCW kid and a lot of this stuff brings back some really cool memories. So I'm excited yeah, for know, this. It's going to be fun. You, you know, I, I mean, I'll give you a little preview, okay? Ho- Hogan's got a pimple on his ass. Because he's got to bring in the one guy that beat him in the big spot. And beat him. And he's got to go over that guy. Get the win back. He's got to pin him. I'm Hogan. Hogan must pose. So, you know, got to correct the one black mark that he's got in the clean loss to Warrior. Bring him in. And you know what? He got what he deserved when the piece of paper blew up in his face. I wish it would have singed off both his damn eyebrows. Oh, this is going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Me boys. too. I look forward to this because now this will start to open up a whole new world for us. We're going to be into the WCW database now. And I told Andrew when we spoke, and uh, Darren, I told you the same thing. Like for us, when we rotate every week, when each of one of us picks, the whole thing with this is, hey, as, as long as people can can throw it on on the WWE Network and rewatch it. We can talk about it. That's fine. So if it's a pay-per-view or even a really cool episode of like a Monday Night Raw or a SmackDown that somebody wants to rewatch or a Nitro or anything ECW, that's fine. If you want to go way back into, you know, NWA territory, anything that we can pull up on the WWE Network and review and rewatch, we are game for it. So uh, our homework now, we're going to be watching 1998 Halloween Havoc Andrew you are On deck with your choice Your selection it's 98 Halloween Havoc good pick my friend I look forward to texting you over the next Week week and a half and uh, Just giving you crap for making me watch this show So thank you it's okay I'm expecting that from Darren <laughs> as well And I'm you know what if you do that I'm gonna save them and I will read them On the please air. do please do <laughs> So, uh, Andrew, before we get to Darren, Andrew, give us your plugs. Where can we find you on social media? Sure. At Andrew Champagne on Twitter. Uh, really trying to stay positive with everything in the world that's going on right now. That's not easy to do. Really happy Belmont Park is coming back this week. The hashtag, by the way, is Belmont is back, not Belmont is back, as the Naira produced graphics showed <laughs> earlier in the week. Had a really good laugh about that one. Guys, everyone needs an editor. 
notwithstanding, Belmont being back is going to be fun. It's Santa Anita Derby Week. There's going to be a lot to unpack as far as racing goes. The Belmont Stakes is coming up in just a couple of weeks. It's going to be interesting to see how that field shapes up. I've got my podcast, Champagne and JD, with JD Fox. We had a really good interview with Jonathan Wong this past week. Jonathan Wong went on to win the California Oaks up here at Golden Gate Fields right after with a pretty good three-year-old filly that he's got. So that was pretty cool to see. But Andrew Champagne on Twitter is where you'll get to see most of my stuff and where you can direct any hate mail in advance if you watch <laughs> Halloween Havoc 1998. <laughs> yeah. Um, for the for the viewers out there that, that are going to be you know watching this along with us, you know, I, I mean, look, we, we joke and we have fun, but there's actually a lot of names on this pay-per-view mm-hmm. that you're going to know. Hogan, Warrior, Goldberg, Diamond Dallas Page, Sting, Bret Hart, the Steiner Brothers, Buff Bagwell, uh, the Big Show, pre-Big Show when he was known as the Giant. Jericho's on there, Raven, Billy Kidman. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I think the, the Dutch Wonderkin, Alex Wright, was on this pay-per-view too. Yep. So yeah, it's actually there's actually a lot of names that you're gonna and know. And there's so. good matches. I'm not yeah, I'm not pulling this out so it's a hate watch. There's good stuff no. on here. It's fun. No, it, the the fun shows are the ones that have some good matches and then some horrendous matches that we can really yeah. lay into, like uh like the we'll Warrior check that Hogan. Box. Yeah, we'll check that box with authority. So this is a great one. Good selection, Andrew. I look forward to uh, chatting with both of you guys about this one next week. And uh, and then after Andrew, it'll be my selection coming up. And a big thank you to all of the guests this week. Thanks again to good friends. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali. You hear them here each and every week. Make sure to go follow Emily Gullickson online and Optics EQ. Great product there. Craig Milkowski, Timeform US. Uh, he does a great job with that product. And another one who's a really good follow and everything you need to talk about horse racing. We are pumped that the NBA is coming back. If you get the opportunity to, go give us a, a subscribe on uh, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spreaker, anywhere that you get your podcast. Look up That's What G Said. Make sure to subscribe. That way every episode will get sent to you automatically. If you can, leave us a nice five-star rating and review at any of those places, in particular over on uh, Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Thanks again, folks. Hope you all have a great, great weekend. Lots of big uh, stuff going on in the world of horse racing and uh, you know that big UFC 250 on Saturday and thanks to Howard for that interview and setting us all up Joey Cleveland take it away my friend with that that's what G said theme song